circulate yo does anybody miss when uh songs used to have the song has a fade out or you know the end of the song just the artist just is just singing the chorus over and over again and it just kind of gets further and further away and at some point they just stopped like albums don't do that anymore you have to listen to the album before a certain time to get the fade out like now all albums the songs just end. They have an official ending. There's a final note. And I don't know. I, I miss... There's just some kind of feeling about when you're just sitting back listening to a song and you just hear the song just kind of drift off. And I, It's just something I miss. It's probably just nostalgia talking. It's probably one of those things nobody really cares about except for like a handful of um, weirdos who remember old music from back in the day. But yeah, this is something about a, a fade out that just can't be beat but let the dollar circulate hearing an echo huh what can i do about that let me see why am i wait hold, hold on one second is everybody hearing an echo hmm. give me a second let me see if i can fix this Yeah, also, if you're not hearing an echo, let me know so I'm not... It can be just one guy, let me know so I'm not here trying to fix this for, like, no reason. So in the chat, either confirm there's an echo or there's not. It'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah, so people are hearing an echo. All right, uh, give me one second, hold on. Is this any better? Is it any better at all? Let me know. Oh, wait. So, Lindsay, Lindsay, I hate saying that name. Lindsay Fuckingham said there's no echo. So, how many people are hearing echo? How many people? Oh, wait. Two people said echo. Two people said echo. And then most people said 
no echo, so I have no idea what it is now. Or if I just reconnected and connected everything for nothing, but yeah, let me know what the final what the final verdict is. Okay, so last person said no echo. Oh, all right. So, oh, and one of the people that said there wasn't echo said they're not hearing it anymore. So, okay, good. So yeah, um, I don't know if y'all have seen, but uh, your pal and mine, uh, Doctor Dementia, has Joe Biden has said that there is not a recession. He used a dictionary definition. He did a internet argument, you know, like where someone whips out the internet definition and says, you know, according to the internet, uh, sorry, according to the Webster's, you know, a recession is this. And technically, this is not a recession. And I find that kind of an interesting argument because, you know, it kind of relies on this idea. It relies on this idea that as long as it doesn't, fit the technical definition of a recession how it actually feels doesn't matter which to me is kind of like weird like it can feel just as bad to you as you claim it feels right now but as long as you can't prove it's a technical recession as long as you can't give it that name um it doesn't count as a recession. So, yeah, the whole argument itself I just find kind of funny to even go with. Hey, Q, how's it going? Good, good. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, how do I sound to you? Earlier, people said there was an echo, and now people say there's not, but I'm just kind of curious about. No, no, you sound good now. The last uh, couple times that you were hosting, it sounded like, uh, I don't know, uh, you, it, it, it sounded like you were hosting from inside of a jail cell. Yeah, I think the volume was too loud i had to turn it up too too high so i turned it um down but today people were claiming there was an echo on top of everything else so okay okay yeah yeah no but i was just talking about how um your pal and mine joe biden has um assured <laughs> people that according to the dictionary we're not in a recession <laughs> i just never seen someone bust out the dictionary to uh reassure people it's like hey i uh gas prices are too high and i can't uh make rent and there's no stimulus checks coming, but as long as the dictionary says I'm okay, I'm I'm fine, you know. So that to me, instead of reassuring, what it was more of a sign of desperation when you have to like, uh, you know, go there. Yeah, when you have to like uh, go into the uh, like the the dictionary definition of recession and be like, well, you know, what it means that you've got uh, two consecutive quarters of. What are you doing over there, bro? Now it's super hard. Wait. Sorry, sorry, we came super loud. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. all right. So I won't do that again. Yeah, no. Uh, it's it's when uh, when politicians have to defend their policies by going into like I don't know, like uh, Webster's thesaurus definitions of whether you know you're actually experiencing uh, recession because it's as it says like two consecutive quarters of negative growth or whatever. So you, you've already lost by that point. Like if you're defending, you're losing, and it's not a matter of whether. Uh, like, it's not a matter of whether you can actually show that there's two consecutive quarters of negative growth. It's whether people actually feel like they're like they're feeling the economic. You, you, when you like, you're not you're not uh, getting any raises in your your workplace wages, but you go to the grocery store and everything is just jacked up in price. It, it doesn't really matter what the definition is. You just know that it's it's not a good economic situation. 
Uh, real quick, when that noise happened, what did it sound like? Because I have a KVM switch, so I'm like switching. Uh... Okay, it, it sounded it sounded like so, like you were doing stand up, and uh, somebody like bum rushed you off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> that's too that's too funny. It sounded like you're the, the latest comedian to get attacked. Oh, okay, so, so what does that mean? Is this sound like uh, just a static or? No, it sounded like somebody like like snatched a microphone away from you and beat you over the head with it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not a good sound. That's not a good sound. What do you? Um, what do you? What do you? Like, you you're the only person I know that has more sound issues than I do, and that's hard to accomplish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I try. I work hard at it, and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to come through every time with uh, new sound new sound issues. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, but... it's good. It's good. Anytime like somebody like bitches about me having you know uh, all this tech and still having sound issues, I'm like, yeah, but have you met my friend Ricky Rawls? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's part of my charm, but I know. I feel like for the most part today's been okay. Outside of the early echo and that weird uh, thing that just happened, but yeah, um, I kind of want to just throw it out to the people today. I just want to hear. I mean, we've been talking about for a while how um, all the different industries that we think the recession is going to hit, but some people are saying, "Hey, I don't think it's a recession." The market, a lot of people in the market are saying, "Hey, we hit a bottom. It's a bunch of bull. Uh, things are coming right back." Netflix only lost 1 million subscribers, not 2 million. So yes. things are great. And they, and they predicted a million more. Where they're going to come from, I don't know. But they said, like, like, there's a lot of hopium left in the stock market. Yeah. But of course, we know we know that the stock market is not the economy. But uh, sooner or later, they do end up, you know, meeting somewhere. No, they know, do. But... They, I mean, people say that a lot. But they do end up converging in the sense that, like, exactly. the economy is primarily driven by financialization. So it's not, but yet it, it actually is. Exactly. Like they're not, they're not always in lockstep as far as like you know at the same time, but eventually they do meet. Yeah. And and yeah, people are just very very. Some people are very sure that like, you know it's not going to happen. Um, growth is the order of the day, and from 2008 till now, there's been nothing but growth, and people are confident this is just another hiccup, and we're due for another run up. And I'm kind of curious how people are feeling in their day to day lives, like. Just anything, uh, any I don't industry. Know, like, there's always a couple of like, there's always a couple of uh, indicators that shows you whether or not like we're having, I don't know, like good economic times. Um, one is like the amount of uh, consumer, uh, the amount of consumer debt. So, not in the sense that like people are putting all this money on their credit cards, but in the sense that are people paying for their day-to-day needs on credit? Um, are they? Are there? Is there home equity? decreasing because they're taking out like you know second mortgages and home equity, home equity lines of credit and that sort of thing um when when people start like dipping into credit uh versus using um cash on hand the, uh that's that's what that tells you uh another thing is when uh money gets like yanked out of stock markets and ends up going into like like treasury bills and money market like uh short-term investments that um, are not going to appreciate a lot of interest it's just money sort of parked on the sidelines because nobody really has any idea whether they should go long on bonds or what what they should do? A lot of a lot of um, investments end up going into like near cash investments, and then number three is like what are consumers paying on a day to day basis? Like what are the price of consumer staples? So there's a lot of there's a lot of indicators that will tell you like what the health of the economy is. This is not like it's not it's not black magic. Like it's not unknowable. It, it's actually like a fairly standard set of indicators that economists have been using for a very long time so you know beyond all of this like this hopium stuff and and you know 
whether Netflix is like losing less customers than they thought they were going to, or like people are saying that the market is poised for a turnaround or whatever it is. Like we can all generally tell, <coughs> excuse me, what the state of the economy is, but just like how are regular, like everyday people managing their day-to-day transactions? Here's kind of my worry, right? My thought is that um, the government and the media and, you know, the rich, the people who can survive these downturns, they only care really about the stock market. And as long as they can keep the stock market not reflecting the state of the economy, even though there's always a pull for the stock market to eventually meet where the economy is, as long as they can pretend that, you know, they're different and keep them in a different place. They can pretend that the economy is good because at the end of the day, they don't care. And also a lot of regular working people, because of 401ks and how they are, have become weirdly overinvested in the stock market versus the real day-to-day lives too. Like, you know, they're like, oh, my my retirement is, is riding on the stock market. So now a lot of people are just kind of like, hey, I can't eat, but if my... um you know, I can't milk cost like however much it costs right now. But if I can't, um, if my retirement is going to be okay, you know, it's it, it's it's worth yeah. it. So, I feel like the government in America, America right now is like the fake middle class family. Like, there's a lot of middle class people who are technically they have a middle class lifestyle, but they basically are always overextended on credit. They're always opening up new cards with zero interest. They they, they become masters at just moving stuff around and and finding paydays, you know, or they'll always find a way to find the money they need, you know, forbear loans, um, put things on deferment, um, get, get a really good freelance gig or something that pays them a lot of money and they pay down a lot of debt and they're good for like another couple of years or, you know, doing whatever. They don't have a long-term master plan when the beginning of musical chairs of life stops and they have to retire, you know, they might be screwed, but uh, they can do what they have to do to keep uh, that middle-class lifestyle as long as they can year after year. They can, you know, find money to get their kids into school, you know, taking out loans, whatever. And I feel like the government is like that. They will do whatever they have to do to keep the stock market going up throw um you, you know what uh, you know what my leading indicator is actually i've, I've just yeah. i've just figured this one out uh yeah I, I when when you when you brought this topic up i was like oh shoot i do have to bring this up i forgot until just now which is that when you see youtubers go from like making the regular content into like offering tutorials and boot camps as to how to like boost your youtube views if they start basically like uh going from like content production to teaching you how to do content production, then you know the economy's going to shit. And that's already uh, started. I've seen some like, YouTubers, I think I sent you one, where they're trying to talk about how to, well, this, this one's actually honest, so like how to bring for the upcoming um, recession. And YouTube money is going down, like, like the, the um, advertisement money. A lot yeah. of that's going down lately. And a lot of YouTubers are being uh, honest about it and stuff. As you're right, it's going to be interesting to see how the content changes but um one reason yeah, like, why... the moment that the moment that you see somebody start like getting into uh offering like boot camps and like this is how i did it then you, you know what are you what is going on with this i don't know what are you hearing 
uh, it sounded like you went from being inside your home studio to being inside of like a, I don't know, like the Autobahn in a highway. Oh, 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 some car out on the street just sped by. That's that's what that was. I don't know what's so loud to, as you came on the mic. I'm gonna over there and like check out your microphone setup there, bro. It's like you go from like you go from like normal studio sound to just like it, it picks up everything. Like I can I can hear your heartbeat. I don't know what is going on with this mic, but lately it picks up everything, and I don't know how to put some kind like, I, of. I just I just heard a I heard a mosquito fart on the other side of your just now. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea why this mic. It's the same mic I've always used, but lately it picks up. Uh, everything i turned on the levels on it and everything and yeah what's it called that thing that keeps noise beyond a certain i'm drawing a blank on what it's called like but a, that a thing noise that keeps gate? noise be... yeah a noise gate i don't know if there's a hardware version of a noise gate like not true software but some kind of uh, physical oh, no, it's thing you, it's when you, you can turn down the gain on like whatever kind of uh microphone interface you're using let me see if i can do there's some buttons here. How does it sound? Is anything changing in how it sound? <laughs> no, you pretty much sound the same. But if you if you if there's like a if there's a game button, can you turn that down? Oh my god, we're gonna have to figure this one out later. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a button, but there's an up and down button on this mic, and I just hit down okay. a couple of times. I don't know if it'll make any difference, but okay. we'll see. Yeah, uh, so, you know something else people don't understand is like that tech stocks are basically crypto. Like everyone bashes crypto, but uh, the Fang, like you know, uh, Facebook now Meta, um, yeah. Alphabet, which is Google, Netflix, and all that stuff, is basically just glorified crypto itself. Like I was talking online about how people don't understand how divorced from fundamentals the stock market really is. Like. Tech stocks are basically crypto, but with a story behind it. So it's like, you know, but basically nowadays stocks and cryptocurrency go up for the same reason. A bunch of people predicting what other people are going to do with the stock and trying to do the same thing um, right. in advance. You know, well, it's, tough to, so, it's tough to make that case now because like, uh, you know, just, just from the media angle, like. I, I don't spend a whole lot of time watching like um, you know like uh, CNBC and Fox Business and so on. I mostly read like Financial Times, and it's, it's kind of wild how like if you if you just like skim headlines or you read articles, um, the amount of like sort of prosperity gospel that they're doing with regards to the market versus if you read the Financial Times, it's basically like top level capitalists talking to each other, and be like they're pretty bearish, like they're they're in a state of depression right now. So it's, it's kind of oh yeah, that, yeah. Like, like once you once you filter everything down from like financial times down to I don't know like Bloomberg or like, even the Economist, um, it, it's almost like you're hearing like two different stories. It's like what they say to each other is completely different than what they say to consumers. Yeah, I mean CNBC is basically like um, the hopium dealer because they have a conflict of interest. It's kind of like ESPN. ESPN can't be too critical of athletes because they need to create, uh, maintain access to them and all that stuff. They're kind of the same way, you know, uh, or same way that, you know, most, most or, business news is like that though. Yeah. Yeah. But CNBC is especially bad because they're so big, but um, yeah, it's like, but I mean the market itself, like, and the way these stocks go is like, it's as arbitrary as, as crypto, you know, the only difference is the fundamentals, just give you a story to rationalize it. And, and the Netflix thing is a perfect example. Like uh, someone was saying, I still think stocks are better than crypto because, and by the way, this is not me depending on crypto. This is me saying that, that the whole thing is bullshit. Um, 
Someone said, I still think that stocks are better than crypto because at least stocks are fundamentals. And I'm like, no, that's what makes it worse because it's crypto with a story. Like, can you imagine if we had crypto, but someone could make some kind of bullshit story about why it's doing what it does and pretends? It's kind of like when people think they have a system for gambling. They're almost in danger of losing more money than the person who just knows is just closing their eyes and, you know, or flipping a coin. Like, you know, the person with the system is the one that's really going to lose money because he thinks he has it figured out. And if he just works it long enough, the odds are going to work in his favor. Like, that's what uh, the stock market like, – like, when Tesla is going at 200 times earnings – for like no reason, like the cars are testing horribly and all this stuff. And they just like um, responded to all daddy Elon's tweets, you know, where like, we love you. And it's going 200 times earnings. Like, how does it make any more sense than uh, Bitcoin just going up just because like people just buy things because other people buy them. And, and they just look at the earnings and the earnings just like, for example, to go back to the Netflix thing, uh, Netflix had a, had a release. People just want Netflix to go up. Uh, you know, a lot of people own it. A lot of people believe in it. You know, they it's just and they feel like if it goes up, that's proof a recession is not coming. So they're just looking for anything. The um, earnings come up, and then people are like, "Hey, it um, it was predicted to lose two mil two million subscribers. It only lost one million. So that's great, but." Okay, who predicted it was going to lose two million? Um, Netflix themselves. So it's like, okay, yeah. this is bullshit. <laughs> They're the ones who gave you this prediction, and then you know, I mean, picture we could, we could all do that. Like I tell my boss, uh, "Hey, boss, I think I um, um, gave away the passwords to a bunch of Russian hackers and all our competitors." You know, and it's like, "Oh my god, you're gonna be so fired!" And he come back and say, "Oh, wait a minute, I only lost a thousand dollars of." Uh, you know, the firm's money and, oh, you're doing great then. He's a promotion. Like, but you can do that in, in uh, any avenue. Just give somebody the worst news possible just so you can tell them uh, better bad news and then get rewarded for it. And that's what kind of what happened. But then, like, m my friends who uh, are financial advisors, they're like, oh, but you don't understand. It was priced in. The two million loss was already priced in. So yeah, it was already after the in. one million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, how do you know that it was properly priced in? Like you're assuming a rational investor. You're assuming a person out there who actually knows what two million. Uh, like to me, Netflix is overvalued, even for the two million dollar. Even for the two million, it's been overvalued so long. Like you have to assume a rationality in the price for years worth to believe that. Um, like for all we know, and this is what I think. I think whatever was priced in for that 2 million loss was probably still not enough because it was still based on hopium. And, and it's like, um, it's kind of like making decisions drunk, you know, like, um, how does, how does a drunk person decide if they are good to have one more drink? You're already drunk. You're already too impaired to make the decision or assess how drunk you decision, are. Yeah. 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 And I feel like that's how, um, finances. So I think it's going to take a lot of beatings to beat the hopium out of uh, everybody. It's going to take a couple of rounds of earnings, I think, and just two, a lot of undeniable signs before people finally, you know, for example, Facebook's earnings were so bad that there was just no, there was no way even with Hopium you could spin it. And I think we're going to need more earnings like that where there's just no possible way you can possibly uh, spin it. Although for, for Tesla, I don't think those type of earnings exist. I think, I think uh, Elon can say anything and they'll find a way to say he's playing 12 dimensional chess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh my god, I don't know if you saw, like, I saw, 
somebody on uh, Twitter the other day. I, you know, I, I don't like to like bring Twitter discourse in here, but this one was just like too too good to not hold on to. And that was that uh, like Elon was like complaining about not having had sex in like months, and uh, some dude was like, "Okay, well, you know, if you if you need to be taken care of, my girlfriend would understand." And somebody was like, "Hey, yo, bro, did you just offer to take care of Elon Musk?" He was like, "Well, yeah, I mean, wow, uh, uh, of course, I, yeah, yeah." He was just like, "Why would you ask me a question like that? Like, like of course I did. You wouldn't do that." <laughs> just, Man, I, I, I never, I never really understood like the cult of Elon Musk being an actual cult until I saw that post. Wow, that that is impressively weird. Uh, that is. You know what? Elon probably just impregnated somebody, and he just needs to have a cover story. He <laughs> came out of nowhere and just said, "Hey, never been sex for months." Yeah. There's probably a, pater- a paternity yeah. suit coming. <laughs> he probably splashed off. He probably just he probably just shot up the club with somebody. He's like, "Damn, what did I do?" <laughs> That's probably a yeah, lawsuit coming. Did you want? Did you want, did you want to? Because uh, we got a couple of callers waiting in the queue. Did you want to? Oh yeah, I didn't even see them. Damn. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, man. Sorry, I didn't see you there. I would have went to you sooner. Uh, thank you, Q, for letting me know there were, there were callers there. Yeah, yeah so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, share share with us your thoughts Any, about anything. It could be about your personal experience of your session or just observations you've been noticing with the economy. Yeah, so, uh, thanks for having me on. How's it going, guys? You, how are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, good to see you, Roy. Yeah, well, as somebody that works in a, a counter-cyclical field, uh, as we call it, of finance, um, you know, I, I think that it's it's one of these things where forecasting, you know, forecasting things like recessions is sort of a fool's errand, right? I mean, I think even, you know, I I, I, I somewhat hesitate on a lot of this stuff because I, I look at it and I... I look at kind of the numbers and, and a lot of things that are, are really driving the recession, I think more than anything are because, you know, it, it's uh, based on these GDP numbers. A lot of that is the, the decline in the housing market, right? Which, you know, was, was way as anybody that tried to buy a house in the last, I don't know, like two years <laughs> uh, could tell you it was way overheated. Um, like there was no way that the, the amount of like the asking value of homes was going to be able to maintain itself. Right. And so, you know, that obviously was going to have to decrease at some point. Uh, and it has been decreasing with these uh, rate hikes, which, you know, again, like, even though it's like, Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's an indicator of a recession. It's like, yeah, but, but people are, are going to benefit from that. Right. Like, you know, the fact that, you know, houses aren't going to be able, um, you know, the fact that houses aren't going for, millions of dollars, uh, you know, is, is a great thing for most people. Um, and then to add to that, cause I know like the financial times I agree has been like very dour, but one thing to keep in mind with financial times is it is very focused on the UK, which I, I think that the UK's financial picture, unfortunately is a little, you know, if you're an American listener, right? Like the UK's financial picture is a little gloomier, I think, than maybe the US's. So yeah, you do have to kind of take that into account, and and I agree though completely that a lot of these tech companies are are definitely over oversaturated, right, with money, and and a lot of that was a result of you know I, I think what a lot of this this recession is, or a lot of the the numbers and the earnings that are coming out of especially the tech sector, uh, is a result of the of the kind of money that was getting uh, moved into things like Netflix. 
you know, streaming services during the pandemic, right? And you know, venture capitalist money or something else? Oh, I mean, just generally market money was being moved into this because, you know, it, what had happened right during the recession or during the um, the lockdown or the, the kind of the pandemic was that a bunch of, you know, actual productive industry kind of closed down, right? There weren't, you know, a lot of this, these companies weren't producing anything. So this, this capital, while at the same time, the government was just pumping capital into the market. So it's like, well, it has to go somewhere. So that's why you saw, you know, this incredible explosion of, of shit like Bitcoin, right? It should have never taken off the way it did, but people had money and they were investing it. And, and they threw all of it into things like, you know, Netflix, um, these companies that, you know, people could consume at home as opposed to, you know, the kinds of things that were actually being, you know, significantly impacted by the COVID-19 um, the, the pandemic. So over time, it was like, yeah, eventually that is going to have to burst, right? Like there is, there's no way that these companies can maintain that level of, you know, of capital inflow, you know, cause they're, they're just not priced in that way, right? They're not, the value has been way overdone by the fact that for a long time, they were the biggest soaks of, of finance uh, and of, of value. So I think we're seeing a lot of correction there uh, with the markets. And then kind of to, to top on that, I mean, I, I just think that overall, you know, I, I don't want to like, you know, over like downplay the effects of a recession, but I, I think it's important to note that like a recession may not necessarily be 2008 and, and the kind of factors that made 2008 such a significant recession might not be at play here. Right. And 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 the kind of takeaway from that is, like, be very careful about how people who I, I think very genuinely want to force people into more, you know, really want to return labor to a more kind of disciplined position in the economy. Right. I mean, because that is that has been something if you read like business and trade journals has been something that everybody has been really complaining about on the bottom is that like. Yeah, like workers are refusing to do work. You're having to raise wages. Um, and it's like all of a sudden I see this recession talk and it's like, oh, you know, this recession, it's, it's a big issue. You know, you know, everybody needs to be careful. Like this is going to be bad. It's like right at the time that, you know, unionization drives are going up. It's like, yeah, I, I think it is a way you will be very careful to not necessarily buy in to the idea as an individual worker that like, oh, you know, you need to batten the hatches down now because things are about to get really, really bad. It's like, well, they might or they might not. Like it, 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 it doesn't necessarily make sense to forecast in that way. Um, and and I, I do kind of have a tendency to sort of look sideways at some of the people, um, you know, flagging a recession. And, and one, one last point, I guess, to add right on to the end. Uh, is to keep in mind that negative news tends to sell better than positive news, um, especially when looking at, you know, uh, um, things like the financial Twitter sphere. It's like, yeah, like strong negative pronouncements will always get attention. Uh, so there is a, a yeah, natural what, like, bias. What, okay, but, but I'm also trying to short my shit. So what, what are you doing, bro? Like, I'm not trying to have people be happy out here. Okay, I got a lot of stuff to short. Oh, that is true. Okay. Well, look, I mean, hit me up in the DMs. Like, I will find a way to, like, to downsell. Like, if you, yeah, if you want to short some stuff, 
Now, to be clear, and this is, I, I think, something, one other thing that, that, that gets very overlooked, uh, this is going to be one situation where developing markets are going to be at a disadvantage, right? And, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, like, especially if you're more kind of left wing, if you have this more sort of global view um, of, of how, of, of kind of this global ambition about how you want the world economy to work. Absolutely, a recession is a time for, you know, country like capital starts flowing back um, into more established markets. Like you're seeing that with Sri Lanka, right? I mean, China, you know, China and the U.S. both kind of started to like significantly cut back a lot of their their loan packages, and a lot of private investors as well began to limit the amount that they were loaning to Sri Lanka because, you know, given the financial outlook developing markets are usually the places that experience the greatest loss um, in financial downturns. I know India has been dealing with pretty significant economic distress over the last couple months. Um, and a lot of that is a result of, of foreign capital, you know, flowing back. And, and I would say, you know, and a lot of people are, I, I don't just mean like flowing back to the West. Like I would say, you know, capital is also flowing into China as well, right? As a as what I would argue, a highly developed economy, like they are also seeing capital inflows back from some of their foreign projects. Uh, so I would say that overall, if you are in a developed country, it's probably a good sign, but if, or it, not a good sign, but like if you're in a developed country, I think the effects are going to be somewhat lessened than if you're in a developing or de yeah, developing country, you're going to maybe see uh, fewer fewer upsides to this. And and that's, I, I think, a story that really needs to be talked about, right? Because that's, you know, I, I think it's it's easy in these situations for people to kind of focus on themselves. And, and obviously, like, look, it's not, people are dealing with a lot of financial issues at home. But, but at the same time, like, I think that that's going to be magnified tenfold in economies like, you know, Pakistan, uh, India, and, and in um, parts of Africa, right? So that's, that's kind of the way to look at it. I, I don't want to be too positive, right? Because like, obviously, like these numbers aren't great. Uh, but don't, don't fall into the trap of overly being negative. Like, you know, I, the, I've always said that the one thing I like about left Twitter uh, is that they're always very skeptical um, about any kind of good financial news coming out of the um, out of the US, which is, you know, good. I think it's good to be very skeptical of that. And, but the biggest thing I hate is kind of that triumphalism when bad news comes out. It's like, no, nah, you got to be skeptical of the other one too, right? You know, in for the goose, in like, good for the goose, good for the gander. You have to kind of do both. And I, and I think this is a good position to be somewhat skeptical going forward. The one part I disagree is on the idea that, um, you know, bad news always sells. Because I think in finance, I think finance has a, the mainstream finance news is a relationship to stock market that the mainstream media has to like Marvel movies, where it's like, you know, they're always going to give it a good review unless it's like really, really bad. Like, I feel like the financial cheerleading, oh. uh, like, like with most other things, like with crime and stuff like that, I totally believe like, if it bleeds, it leads. But I think there's like a, the type of financial um, news that really thrives on bad news, I think is a more like a niche type of thing. Like, you know, there's a handful of people who just really love perma bears and stuff like that. But I, I do think the more, the larger incentive is to be, is to be, 
positive. People really want to yeah. cheerlead the. I, I think amongst institutional media, right? So the, I would say that, like, yeah, amongst like your Bloomberg's, amongst your um, like Wall Street journals, you're right, absolutely. Like they they have a, a institutional push to be more positive. But I'm also I'm talking more about like guys on all like like you know Twitter finance accounts. Like I follow a bunch of them, and it's. And you see they have these like spaces where they like every day like talk through the markets and every day it's something like, you know, you know, Fed increases like the, you know, increases the rates by like 75 bips, recession incoming, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. YouTube has that community, too. Yeah. yeah. If you go by YouTube, it's like totally negative. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that for somebody like Bloomberg that has this kind of institutional set number of of people who are going to pay for it you know they have a little more freedom to like kind of mix the narrative whereas i think the a lot of people are getting their advice now from guys like zero hedge a lot of these like kind of independent networks that kind of exist a lot on subscriptions and on um like ad like page views and ad revenue and and i think in that case like you know like a headline like recession incoming is absolutely going to get more eyes and has been getting more eyes i would i from just at least what i've been seeing over the last couple days than in the last you know three months i think it's kind of tricky though because i feel like it's kind of like um sample bias and what what i mean by that is i'll say that as somebody who was following a lot of politics through twitter and and the left and podcast you would think you know, like, for example, I was, um, you know, listening to Chapel Trap House, you know, I was a big Chapel Trap House fan. And I remember one day I looked at the top 100 podcast uh, in terms of size. I just realized, like, oh, my God, like the biggest left podcast is like nothing in the general media ecosystem. There's like so many shit lib podcasts and West Wing recap podcasts that are just like crushing it and like the most banal npr and slate things were doing well here's the thing what we need to do is well, 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 hold on. Q is real quick i've been saying that for a while is that sometimes we lose perspective um and sort of like uh, left political spaces i like your your biggest left political personalities whether it's like podcasts or streamers or writers or whatever and like you you superimpose that on like the the media ecosystem all together and it's like it's it's nothing it's a drop in the ocean like the the kinds of uh listens that and if your average npr podcast like you just mentioned trevor um like like planet money will get just like insane amounts of listens and it's not even like it's not all that edifying it's not it's not information that you couldn't have found by opening up the newspaper, but this is this is what actually uh, gets a lot of lessons. So I think sometimes we have a tendency to um, overestimate like what what amount of impact any of this is having. Yeah, and I feel that way about the zero hedges and stuff of the world. Like I'm totally immersed in that sphere, but I feel like you know there's a certain type that is very immersed in that sphere, and they're very loud and very you know vocal. Just just how like left podcast Twitter is, but. Um, it's it's a little over represented in the online space and I don't think it has as big an impact as people uh think on the average person's uh thinking. I, I think what I'm trying to say less is that it, it's a way 
you know, when people, and this is like more general than just this, that, I mean, I, I think it's even beyond that. Like when things, when people get bad news, they tend to, to really overreact to it. Right. And, and I, and, and you can see it, it's just a natural kind of inclination. I think people have, and you can see it in the markets too. It's like, you know, you'll see these like massive drops in, in stock value at times. And, I, and I'm not talking about like, you know, recently, but, but, you know, over time, like just monitoring it and it's like, well, you know, why, why was, why is this stock like dropping in value so quickly? And it's like, well, because, you know, people react to bad news and, and it's a common fact that people tend to overcorrect, right? They tend to, you know, see things going downhill and they tend to just, to, to try to, imagine the worst case scenario and immediately respond to that. And as somebody that does a lot of legal work in, in finance, it's like, look, I mean, that you see that with like investors too. And, and that's why you have to, the best investors are the ones that kind of keep sort of a level head, right? It's like, yeah, we're seeing a lot of bad indicators, but at the same time, like there are also some other good indicators. So we're, we're trying to like kind of level that out and sort of see where, the market is going like i remember you know when i was when the the pandemic first started you know all these people were like we need to pull our money out of the stock market and i'm like why you know like why are you pulling like this much out and it's like well because you know the, this pandemic's coming it's we're moving everything into like gold yeah and i'm like I, guys i don't think it's going to i i don't think like the fundamentals of the economy are going to change that much during the pandemic. Like, yes, there's going to be obvious shifts, but I, I think it's too hard to predict. And I don't think that, you know, buying in this frenzy of like, oh my God, the economy is going to completely shut down and like collapse is, is necessarily the best idea. And I think, you know, in the end, I didn't do that. And I ended up doing very well out of it because and on all my friends that ended up moving their money into like gold ended up kind of getting this short shaft because it's like, yeah, you, you overcorrected, right? You, you allowed sort of this, this nascent market fear to start to impact how you think. And it's like, and look, I'm not saying like, don't, I'm not saying like, you know, everything is sunshine and roses. I'm just saying like, don't, don't allow yourself to become too focused on the hype. Right, because that will cause you to make mistakes, and it'll cause you to over. Or it'll cause you to. It'll impact how you think, and and sometimes it can, the best thing you can do is just to sort of detach yourself somewhat from that. Right, and that's. A, I mean, that's. I think the best advice I can really give. Right, you know, predicting a recession, predicting when it will happen, how it will happen, what sectors it will affect the most, and you know, to what extent the recession occurs and how long it lasts is totally impossible yeah i think it's, i think it is i think it is impossible uh, one thing i i agree with you on some things but the context of the way i agree with you is a little bit different like for example i do believe that people do overcorrect for bad news i 100 percent agree with that but i think we're in a situation where what people will allow themselves to understand as bad news is a lot smaller than it used to be. So, yeah, people will overcorrect for bad news, but the amount of bad news that people will tell themselves is actually good news is remarkably scary to me. Like, this past week has just had so many 
bad earnings or so many just pulled out of my ass projections and people were like, well, the owner of the company said that they would, they would get this many uh, people in their forecast. So I'm sure it's fine. Like, like for example, Netflix says, don't worry. We uh, only quote unquote only lost 1 million and we expect to get 1 million back. And people were like, well, this is going to get 1 million back. That's good news. And I'm like, how did it get this million back? Like, there were punchline among people who just watch streaming stuff. Like they become a joke as far as if you go on YouTube, I know this is not any type of hard evidence, but if you look at how people review Netflix shows, people use Netflix now as a punchline for bad TV. The same way they used to use CW, like, Oh, this looks like a Netflix show. This is, um, this has a Netflix feeling or Netflix does it again. Resident evil sucks. And you start realizing like more and more people in just the common parlance think of Netflix as, it's bad, right? And like their production is just bad. Do only have two shows that actually get genuine um, eyeballs for all the hype they do versus everything else, which is just a creation of like, uh, you know, access media, which is there's Stranger Things and, and um, Squid Game. Neither of those are coming back next quarter. So they're not getting the hundred, they're not getting the one million back from fans of those shows, I don't think. And the other thing people are arguing, well, they think they get a million back because they're going to put ads, ads on it. And the ads are going to lower the price enough that people are going to jump back in. But it's like, okay, how do you know this? Because most experts claim the cheapest they can afford to go and stay competitive is something like seven ninety nine, six ninety nine. There's so much good streaming out there, like HBO Max for like, I forget how much HBO Max costs, like $9.99 a month or something. The amount of content on there is insane. Paramount's thing is is great. Uh, all this stuff. What's going to make people come back to Netflix even for that cheaper price? But people were just like, hey, this is good news. They said $1 million's coming back. To me, everything in that earnings report was bad news. So it's like, I agree with I you. Mean, I think people will overcorrect for bad news, but the amount of hopium out there keeps people from letting things be bad I, news I, to them. One thing I would dis one one point I would say about Netflix, and, and I guess this is a very Netflix specific point, is that you know, the one thing to remember is that a lot of this is based around the fact that they are raising their prices, right? The fact that they didn't lose two million subscribers after like a, a pretty significant price hike. Um I don't have Netflix. I haven't really paid. I, I don't know the exact figures, but like it was, a, it was fairly significant as a price hike. And I think that's the important thing to kind of separate yourself from, like, you know, it's like, well, look at all these. You know, they're losing these subscribers. They're losing this. It's like, yeah, but if they're losing subscribers at you know four ninety nine or ten ninety nine, you know, and, and but they're they're maintaining it at nineteen ninety nine, like the actual value of the company has gone up, right? They're actually making more money, even though they've lost subscribers because uh, the actual rate that they're charging people has gone up. And again, I'm somewhat, I agree with you, I'm somewhat skeptical about how this, you know, ad tier level is going to work out exactly. But, you know, I, I think that's kind of the key where it's like, you know, so much focus has been on the number of viewers where it's like, well, but at the end of the day, it's sort of like, well, why does that matter? Right. I mean, why, you know, it's like, uh, what was it like uh, the Velvet Underground? It's like, yeah, you know, only 30 people went to their shows, but they all started like, you know, a shitty band or whatever. You know, it's the same thing with Netflix. It's like, yeah, they lost, you know, a million subscribers, 
but they they still maintained you know however many eight million subscribers at a higher price. So the the amount that people thought they were going to lose was significantly less. And I, I think that they were being a little shitty with how they did that. Like I think they allowed people to sort of freak out about you know Netflix Netflix's like imminent collapse, and, and essentially use that as cover to sort of re reorient the company around less or more profitable IP while at the same time you know waiting just enough so that like as soon as they got the reorganization through when they had to come out with their Q2 figures all of a sudden everybody was you know was primed to be like oh cool like it wasn't as bad as yeah yeah they called it uh, anchoring in cognitive psychology it created a new anchor point yeah I, I would it's even beyond anchoring I'd say it's like a smoke screen right where they they allowed sort of all of this bad press, like, oh, my God, Netflix is doing all this stuff. Oh, my God. And, like, yeah, get it out of the way early, right? Um, you know, it's sort of like what, like the Prince with Machiavelli. It's like, yeah, get all your bad shit out immediately, right? As, as quick as you can, all at once, rip the Band-Aid off. That way, you know, it, it's not this trickle of bad news. It's just a, a huge torrent of bad news. And then... You could at the end sort of flip around and say, well, actually, no, it's it's much better than we were kind of letting it on to be. And I think Netflix is was doing that very consciously, right? Because I think they did need to. They I think they they did recognize like, yeah, we're not going to be receiving the kind of capital inflows we were getting during the pandemic. Like unless monkeypox really pops off, like we're probably not going to see those kind of capital inflows uh, anytime soon. And, and so we can't really have shows like, I, I mean, not even Stranger Things, but these shows that are just ridiculously expensive and look like shit, right? Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Um, hold on, but I want to make sure that we give other people a uh, yeah, yeah, chance sure. to ch- chance to speak. But uh, yeah, thanks, thanks so much, Rory. Appreciate you um, joining us. Uh, the one quick thing that um i would say one way in which i agree with rory's uh, um, recession and trying to predict the bottom and you know get it just right is a fool's mission um the one thing i slightly disagree i I think one reason why it's going to be really hard to um predict is because of the middle class person just constantly moving money around and doing tricks, you know, to stay up. I think the government's going to do a lot that it can to stave off a recession. They will go back to printing money again if they have to. They will move a lot of things around. I think it's when they run out of tools or, you know, they're not able to keep fooling people or they just can't do the same tricks. That's when I think the stock market is going to have to catch up to the state of the economy. But I think there's a lot of tricks left in them. There's a lot of um, hopium left. There's a lot of um, creative earnings interpretations to be had. That um, I, I, I do believe it's hard to predict the exact timing of the recession. I'm just not as convinced that it's because the numbers aren't as bad as people think. I think it's more because they ha- they have a lot of tricks up their sleeve to uh, manage perception. And uh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Um, is that you? Is that you, Colonel Corbett Gaddafi? Yeah, you caught me mid bong rip. That's where the coughing came from. Audience, oh, okay, right? okay, okay. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, by all means, share your share your thoughts. 
Okay, first thing, I want to just get my anger about Elon Musk out of the way, and this is the only thing I can say about him that will not get anyone legally incriminated. <clears throat> Dear Elon Musk, these are two facts you need to realize. Number one, uh, your entire family's fortune was built off an emerald mine that you stole from the Swazis, so shut the fuck up about being self-made. Uh, number two, my ancestral homeland from my dad's family is Algeria. They helped Angola beat you guys in a war. Shut up! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said nothing illegal. I'm just stating historical facts. No, no. 100% agreement over here. Listen, like, Elon Musk is one of my least favorite people in the entire world. So, I mean, granted, like, I don't know what I'm saying. Like, he's like one of the lamest billionaires. For no, no, that... no. You want to know what Elon Musk really is? You know what he is? And I know this is a probably a hack joke. Elon Musk is what Kanye thinks he is when he's high. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Like, Kanye, I, I mean, as much as uh, you talk shit. I'm saying but... this is someone talking about another black man from the Midwest. Yeah. I, am, I know the mindset that makes that kind of guy. And I'm telling you, in his head, he thinks he's Elon Musk on a level. That is I... why... <laughs> Okay, right, but what I'm saying though is that there's, there's a difference between like Elon Musk the person and Elon Musk the personality. And I think that like a lot of people think of Elon Musk as a personality more so than a person. So the person that Kanye West thinks he is is Elon Musk the personality. But Elon Musk the person, he's he's a bit of a fucking loser. I don't I don't know. If, no, like, no, no, no. I agree with you, Q, because this is how I yeah. see him. I I have said this. I don't know where I said this. I was probably with family when I said this, but I said Elon Musk is just Wyatt Coke with slightly more <laughs> charm and a better physics and a better body. That's uh, all he is. He's just Wyatt Coke. He's that, just man. Wyatt Coke from South Africa. Oh, oh I don't know if you saw his, his recent topless pictures, but the say, better yeah, body thing is very arguable. Yeah, he looking like, uh, man, he, Elon Musk at the them beach photos looked like a six-year-old drawing Elon Musk from memory is what he looked like. I mean, I can't really talk too much shit about Elon Musk's body because he's literally built like my dad, and my dad still gets women my <laughs> age at 50, so I can't exactly say he's completely shut off. But then again, you know, he did, you know, have a kid by a woman who suspiciously looks like his mom when she had him. Whoa. To say, no, I'm serious. Anyone listening yeah, right now, go look up what go look at what Grimes looks like right now, and then go yeah. look up what his mother looked like at the time when she had him. I also, I should add that, that to support this point, they're from technically the same end of Canada. <laughs> oh, shit. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sandy Garasino, her mom, is from like that same, them same ends. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We, we, he's one of those motherfuckers. Also, you know, yeah. You know. How things up in Canada for you, Q? Uh, not bad, actually. Like, the weather is nice. Uh, and Caravana weekend had just passed, although I didn't go this time around. This is like my first year in maybe like I'd say like ten years that I haven't gone to Caravana. What is that? Yeah, I, like? yeah. My fam, I got a, I got family over in Toronto, and they said just things have been like normal but weird. And I'm like, weird how? And he's like, a lot of, a lot of, um, basically the Mounties are patrolling more than the provincial police is what how he described it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was it was weird. Like even the hotels were saying that you had to, uh, if you wanted to cancel a booking, you have to cancel a week in advance. Um, and I'm guessing that that had a lot to do with like the amount of black people that are here for Caravana. But like even like um, 
I don't know, man. I, I will be at the grocery store just like, I don't know, socking my, my shopping cart. And people will, like, strike up a conversation with me in the middle of the aisle just about how expensive food is getting. So, like, how is it up here? I mean, it's okay for the most part, but... Yeah. Oh, I, I think, oh! You I don't think, know how. Yeah. You don't know how the funny story about you mentioning the food prices in up in there. You know who was who had a really funny observation about you guys' uh, food prices. Who's that? My said relative, who's Canadian. His he has half siblings who are Vietnamese because their dad was in the war. Yada yada yada. You know where this is going. Okay. <laughs> and they came here to visit him, and they were just like, "The fuck is going on here?" I mean, yo, listen, like, like, I don't know if you've, if you've seen what our gas prices are like, right? But that's what they were shocked about. Yeah. If you convert, if you convert liters to gallons and you convert Canadian dollars to American dollars, we're paying like $7 a gallon, basically. Bruh, I'm in Michigan. Do you know how much we're fucking paying here? (laughs) I don't know. I will say though that like. When I lived in Windsor, let me put it uh, let me put it this way. I won't give yeah. you a number, but let's just put it this way: drive-bys are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> y'all have y'all having like ride-bys on bicycles? Yeah, you can't you can't afford it. You can't afford. No, that. fuck that! I'm not even joking. There was actually I can't remember how far back, but there was a story about a dude who did a drive on a fucking moped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a moped. That is that is some, like you know what that is? That that's is like a step. No, 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 no. I wonder no, if no. anybody is just surviving longer because of this. Like, you know, we're, we're going to put off killing this guy until <laughs> gas prices drop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. Q, you know what I immediately thought of when I heard that story? That is like that one famous, that, what that one famous scene from New Jack City if they lost a budget. <laughs> you know what part I'm talking about. Come on, no one remembers that movie? Come on, I can't I mean, be I remember. I remember New Jack City. I remember what you're talking Okay, the part about. where he has all the mob bosses killed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. yeah that part. Like when he does the Griselda on all Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was the era of cheap gas. We can't do that no more. Cheap gas? It was like 1991. No shit was cheap. Do you know what kind of, you know what kind of price? Listen, I remember the first time that gas went up to like 60 cents a liter up here, which would have been like, uh, I'm guessing, like somewhere around like a dollar something a gallon like a dollar forty dollar fifty a gallon but i remember when it when it went up to 60 cents a liter up here i was like wow gas is really we were like complaining about that now i know there's all there's obviously like inflation and everything else but um i i don't know like the way that uh like when we hit a dollar a liter up here when we broke that seal it was pretty much over because we went from like a dollar to two dollars in record time but getting up to that like dollar a liter threshold was really difficult for us. So, I, and, and I don't like to use uh, gas prices as, as any kind of indicator because gas prices just. I know there's I, other stuff. I, I, I just there's just no there's no there's no connection to reality on gas prices. So I, I don't like to use it as an indicator of anything. But I, 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 I do know that, food like, prices. That's the easiest one because yeah, as I always say, yeah, you can tell when the economy is going down when like any all the major fast food places or at least all the fast food places owned by PepsiCo start offering five dollar deals. Yeah. Well, when anyone owned by PepsiCo starts cutting prices, something is coming down the line. Mark my words. No, the thing when, that that really bothers me though was that like there's no connection between like. The, the immediacy with which we, we uh, jacked up fuel prices, and now we're talking about, like, higher commodity prices. I can understand this if you're in Europe. Like, if you're in a country like Germany that is 
um, running on 40% of its total energy capacity because it's not uh, taking the normal kind of uh, uh, like fuel inflows from Russia that they would be normally. So they have to depend on like fuel inflows from Western Europe and even looking at like brownouts. I, I can understand where their um, input prices are going up, but ours, the, like none of that conflict overseas has anything to do with us whatsoever. It is just prices going up because we'll pay for it. Also, like, I want to say one really quick thing reality. about the about the about the Ukraine conflict. I just want to say two quick things about that. Uh, number one, I keep hearing them talking about. Russia wants to trade an arms dealer to get Brittany Grider back. I say take the deal because the way I look at it, if it's between an arms dealer or an actual well, spy, take I, the I guess arms my one question you know why? Because you know, you I, I was going to say take the deal because, like, is that oh, that arms dealer um, six what, foot nine? Cut out. And, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, can you? <laughs> yeah, you cut. You cut for a second, so you might want to start over. I was gonna say, is that arms dealer a six foot nine, and can they like can they play post? Because if not, I say take the deal. I say the reason I say take the the arms dealer over the spy is one simple reason: the spy we already know who their allegiance to. The arms dealer, they're just money. You know what that means? The CIA could drop a shit ton of money on them, and they could just pretty much turn the tide of whatever conflict they're in. In case you don't believe me, that's what happened in South America during the eighties. How do you think? How do you think uh, Freeway Ricky Ross got all that cocaine? They will buy out anybody. Yeah, word. Ricky Ross instead of like, Freeway Ricky Ross. <laughs> 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 I, I, I wish I was moving. <laughs> I don't fucking know what I, I don't know what the fuck going on. Yeah, I, if you yeah, if you if you moving that kind of pants, bro, like we wouldn't have to. Uh, we wouldn't be hosting the show right oh, now. Oh hell no. Well, this would be like a, a totally different set of topics. Nah, 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 nah. But I will say this to you, Trevor. I do want to make a quick uh, thank you about something. A quick story. And uh, you said you're an immigrant lawyer and back in the day and I remember around the time when I first started listening to the show I remember you saying that and one of my co-workers at the time keep in mind it was a Haitian dude who like tried to kill me over a fight but he got picked up by ICE and you know I did the right thing and started going through immigration law to try and get him out and raise oh my god and I got the motherfucker out. <laughs> oh man, don't credit me with that. <laughs> what are you talking? I never you gave, gave me the idea. On... I, got I, I never gave, the gave anybody out. tips on to get people who be pouring out by ice. <laughs> legally, he got out legally. Thinking... Legally, hmm? he got out legally. Legally, okay. I have no idea how. Legally, to me, I have no idea what I did to help that happen. But I feel like there's a misinterpretation. Well, the best way I would describe how you helped was, you know, oh yeah, there is actual like set laws for immigration, and also, you know, this show did kind of. I'll just say it as I wrote in a letter, I, I an email I sent to you guys, you probably never read. You did kind of this show alone did kind of pull me out of my like self hate stuff. That's good. And yeah, yeah, like, I, feel, I feel better about taking credit for that than getting people to, uh, deported. So, <laughs> no, I got him the fuck out of the. I got him the fuck from getting deported. They were going to deport his ass, and he was dying. 
oh, 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 wait. You, yeah, you he stopped him from getting deported. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought he was saying that. that no, no, I kept him from deported. getting deported. Oh, I, oh, okay. his ass. I, I feel better now. I, I thought you were saying that I somehow planted the idea in your head to report somebody to ICE. <laughs> I was like, no, no, what no, no, episode no, no. was I that? Thought, yeah, no, he, I, he, wanted them, he wanted them. He wanted them. He wanted them. Adolf dudes. He's like, no, nah, we're gonna get your ass out of here, bro. <laughs> get okay, okay. I feel better now. I, I'm glad to take credit for that. Okay, that's good. Like, I got the idea to get raise money. Get actually, I did it partially. The money I got raised was through a, a street fight, street fight radio. Yeah, yeah. So they oh, were because yeah. I went on their show and called in. Like, he's out now. He's fine. He's, he's oh, I'm glad. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, the, I wasn't expecting his daughter to thank me with nudes, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, you earned it. I mean, that's a hero. That's a hero's reward. <laughs> but that was, I, I'm, I'm just. I would have I would have been fine with just. I would have been fine with just buying me some food. I wasn't expecting that, but you know, no complaints. <laughs> Yeah, as long as, as long as he's safe, that's that's good. Okay, I, oh, I'm, he glad alive. Clear, I'm glad we cleared that misunderstanding up. Uh, thank you, Colonel. Uh, we have to move on to the next person, but you're free to come up again and uh, join us again later in the show, and we'll talk soon. Uh, thanks for your support. Gonna go pack another bowl. Peace out. All right. Yeah, I'm glad we cleared that misunderstanding because I was like, I, I, <laughs> Champion Sharks does not give people tips on how to deport. <laughs> People, it's funny you say he was one of those ADOS dudes. Yeah, because they be talking that stuff sometimes. Uh, hey, Robert, how's it going? Oh, hey, can you guys hear me? Uh, yeah, you sound yeah, great. You. Okay, yeah, nice. Well, you know, coming back to the topic of recession, I think something important to ask here is always like, why do we even care if something is in a recession, right? Because we're talking originally, you know, you're talking about how they just changed the definition of what's a recession, right? So why do we even care about a recession? And it's ultimately just optics, right? So I would say the economy is built on, you know, economic optimism, you know, there's going to be growth in the future. And I I think everyone kind of knows that the economy is going to collapse, you know, to, to some extent, right? That, you know, I, I, I think the question isn't, you know, is the whole economy going to collapse because it's never like completely collapsed. But, you know, we're, we're going to be heading on like a downward spiral, I think, for in the economy for for, for quite a bit here. I, I think that you know, everyone kind of knows this. If you look at the, the culture, culture is generally about, you know, a lot of its focus on like the post-apocalypse, you know, a lot of zombies, you know, liberals have just been saying for the past 10 years, Democrats. It's, the economy is not that bad. The world we're living in is not that bad. You know, crypt, you know people talking about crypto, you know, money is fake. We're do- looking at gas prices or the housing market, and it's all just speculation, right? People aren't trying to make something, make a new product. They're not trying to, you know, do some type of service. They're just trying to essentially look for a bigger sucker. And I, I think that if we're asking, you know, why do we care about if we're in a recession or not, it's mostly just that the economy is going to be getting worse. And people are just going to have to get be- get prepared for that, really. Uh, 100%, on top of that, I just 100% agree. I just couldn't find the mute button to, to unmute. But yeah, 100% agrees so far. Yeah, and you know, I, you know, Rory was talking earlier how we shouldn't, you know, overreact to negative news. But I think, you know, it's a little bit different situation now. I mean, I, I kind of remember even since the... 08 recession that people were kind of saying like for probably like a decade at this point you know the economy is going to collapse since like you know 2012 2014 people i feel like were saying that but i think it's different now especially with like supply chains and i think that's something that you can't really hide as much as you know like financial systems collapsing you can just print money but you can't print money to solve a supply chain issue 
Yeah, and the supply chain stuff is crazy, and they're really under-reporting uh, it. But a lot of the stuff happening overseas now, like in Germany and in, in all these places, are, you know, uh, farmers and supply chain and labor-related, they're really getting um, worked up about this stuff. The, the supply chain stuff is, I feel, very under Discuss, but I think in America, America is really bad about discussing international news um, in general. Like most of the stuff I see about Sri Lanka and Germany and all this stuff is links I see on Twitter, you know. And I, I don't feel like the regular news is discussing this stuff as as much, you know. Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, yeah, they're all in on that, but a lot of this other stuff they just find boring. Yeah, I, I think most people are just completely disconnected from it. The type of things I've heard people say about, you know, the war in Ukraine or Germany is just completely insane. You know, they, they're, they've been convinced since February that the war, the Russia is about to lose. We heard, I remember hearing in March, people were saying that Russia was out of missiles and, you know, now it's August. And I don't think people actually want to seriously think about like what, what these things actually mean. But I think, you know, COVID was a, something that kind of brought it into light a little bit because people, you know, there were shortages. And I feel like there's just in general, there have been more shortages of products, even if it's just like small delays, like, oh, you go to a store and this one thing isn't there, but the next time you go, it is. I, I think that, that those types of things are something that you can't hide as much. And when our economy is based off of economic optimism, right, the, the markets have to go up. Otherwise, you know, you, you kind of get like a, you, you start facing a much more like a larger collapse. And, and, and to an extent, you can try to hide it as much as you, as you want. But, you know, when, when people, when money is being more concentrated at the top and you need consistent gains and fewer people have money, it, it's, it's going to be harder for the system to weather. And I don't think it's going to be like a complete collapse, right? But I, I think it's going to be, a, just, in terms of like what would, what's, what's, what a recession means practically for most people is, the economy is going to be worse. You're going to be earning less money. It's going to be harder to find a job. And I, I, I think in that sense, you know, the recession is all, honestly already here. And I I think for some people, it's already here. And when it becomes official, their lives are not going to change. There's going to be a lot of people in the middle and higher who are going to, um, I think, I think at the very highest, they're going to be just fine. But I think a lot of people in the middle are the ones who are really going to be, um, crushed by the quote unquote official recession. But for a lot of other people, especially in the service industry or, 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 you know, um, less, less secure jobs, I think, yeah, you're right. The recession is here for sure. It's been here. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, ultimately a recession only matters to people who have money in like you know, the stock markets or capital really, because it, I feel like for most people, a recession is really just, is the stock market up or is the stock market down? And I think just a lot of people are in just denial of that. You know, they just don't want to admit it or, you know, they don't care. It's just like, this is how like their life has always been. You know, they, you know, they weren't, they didn't have good economic times when they were children. They didn't have good economic times when they were adults and they, they don't have a good economic situation now. So for some, I mean, when it comes to a recession, some people also benefit, right? Like some people are going to be making a lot more money during a recession. So, you know, it, it, it is ultimately some people benefit, some people lose. Yeah, no, I, t I totally I totally agree. And like one thing I think is going to happen, I think they're going to do whatever they can to keep denying it. And even if they know it's a bad idea to get through the midterms, to get through the reelection, I think they might try. I, I, I mean, who knows? They might try another round of quantitative easing and they might, you know, 
keep it on life support a little bit longer, but it's just kicking the can down the road. I mean, and, and that's why I say like we keep doing, we keep running the government, the economy, like you know, middle class people moving around, uh, money and pay and borrowing from Peter to pay off Paul and whatever. But what's happening in China now is really interesting, and very few people are talking about it like you would expect. Like the the widespread uh, mortgage boycotts where people just aren't paying off their mortgages, and then billions of dollars of um, money scammed out of the banks, so people aren't going to the banks, and there's these kind of uh, protests and riots in the street, and there's a lot of pressure on China, but a lot of people just kind of aren't talking about it, but... America's in a funny place because America makes nothing anymore. China makes everything here. And America has this weird policy. It's the most insane policy I've ever thought of. But a lot of jingoistic Americans just kind of accept it as normal. And that's, we're a country that borrows and is highly indebted to a country that we also paint as our own biggest threat. And we basically, the country that we claim is our own biggest threat is a country that makes almost everything we have in that uh, we owe the most money to. And it's like, how is that going to work if you ever want to wage war against them? Like, it's a it's a very weird um, conundrum that I feel like these kind of weirdly jingoistic anti-China people don't um, realize. That, like, they look at us as being in competition with China, and they are very uh, much cheerleading for America to kind of go to war with or take, take China down a peg. But... Um, China's the second highest GDP, and they're we're highly indebted to them. we're highly indebted to them in a major way. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, one thing I was going to say with China, in terms of the GDP, different measures have China have already passed the United States because you know some economic indicators or some like sometimes when they measure it, they tend to overvalue, for example, like the financial industry or services, and they undervalue manufacturing. So depending on what measure you're looking at, China's already passed. The That's United a great States. point. That's a really but, good point. Uh, I, I think in terms of, you know, America, you know, being in this current situation where we're not creating things, we're not manufacturing as much, and we're, we just, you know, essentially import that in from other places and then just borrow money from ourselves or just print more money. That's, that's how America grew to be such a big power. If you look, you know, earlier when it was the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom was the manufacturing powerhouse. But then, you know, after World War One, World War Two, maintaining all of the colonies, they had to just borrow more money. They had to print more money. And a lot of that manufacturing was exported out to their colonies or was exported out to the United States. The United States took a lot of the manufacturing and supplied, you know, Europe or they supplied the British. And and it's kind of the same thing happening to the United States now where we're not creating as much. We're borrowing more money and we're exporting all the manufacturing out. So I, I do think, you know, especially in terms of just like the general vibe of the, of the country, I think more people are expecting things to get worse here in the United States while things, you know, in other countries are getting better. Because, you know, if you look at other countries, their dialogue, you know, like the people in China are expecting better economy. People in India, I feel like, are in general expecting better economies. People in Brazil tend to expect, you know, improvements of some kind. You know, there, there, there's going to be ups and downs. But I think in general, most people, or not most people, but, you know, large amounts of people in other countries are expecting economic growth. They're expecting something good to happen in the future. Whereas in the United States, we expect the opposite. We expect things to get worse. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting times. Like, like I definitely don't think it's going to be just a straight shot around the corner. There's going to be a recession. I think a couple of things are going to happen. I think, first off, because people really want 
to believe in the stock market that's going to do good. I think that people are going to look for any reason for it to go back up. And all this negative doom saying, I think, paradoxically, is actually going to lead to a couple of uh, bear market rallies because um, they're going to start using all the bad news to be like, okay, all this kind of doom saying just means any relatively shitty news is now a reason to celebrate. You know, they're going to reorient themselves and make new reasons to be overly optimistic. So um, um, hearing all the good news is going to be like, hey, there's all this good news. This is a reason to celebrate. Then all the bad news is going to turn into, well, hey, look, the news is so bad. As long as it's even a little bit not as bad, hey, more room to celebrate. So I think we're going to, I, I think a lot of the optimism is going to have to be really beat out of um, America. And America, strangely, has a lot of unwarranted optimism left. No matter how many times you think it's at the end of its rope with it, um, the extent to which they still believe they're secure as a number one superpower that, um, I mean, even our so-called liberals, you know, talk about when everything bad happens, this is not what America is. This is not our, I was like, oh my God, are you so serious in this era of uh, Black Lives Matter and all this stuff and Roe versus Wade being repealed and everything? You still want to believe like, Every bad thing that happens is not our character, even though the bad stuff happens more often than the, than the good stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I'm gonna see what it takes to beat the optimism out of out yeah, of. Um, I mean, I, I think for a lot of people, they have to be optimistic because if they're not optimistic, the economy is gonna, the stock market's gonna collapse, and that's where a lot of people have their money. That's where they they have their savings. They're not gonna retire otherwise. Yeah, I think and, I think also they have to be optimistic because if they're not optimistic, then they're gonna ask themselves, why am I not? rioting in the streets yeah well yeah i i think there's there's a lot to it where it just they're they're just current condition only exists if if the economy goes up which are, you know you know line goes up it's, it's a bit of a meme but i i think if anything the stock market will be the last thing to collapse but i i think the biggest thing like the biggest thing that's convinced me the economy is just going to go to shit and is going to continually get worse is just the war in ukraine and how all of these sanctions they were supposed to put on russia was supposed to collapse the economy within you know like a month and what the only thing it's it's proven is that the United States and Europe, you don't need to rely on them anymore. You, yeah, you know, these yeah, countries it, countries see that you don't need to rely on them, and they're not making anything. They're or they're making something, but they're making mainly like weapons, for example. Yeah, if anything, it's kind of hurt Europe more than it's hurt, hurt Russia. Ironically enough, like Russia's like crying about gas prices, and um, sorry, not Russia. Uh, Europe's crying about gas prices, and Russia's getting by. You don't really hear them complaining the same way. Uh, Europe's complaining. They're, they still have this romantic... You know what they're like? They're like um, Al Bundy, like, you know, uh, still thinking that he's the Polk High uh, football hero. But no, you're a pot-bellied um, shoe salesman now, you know? Even if your house is big. Like, it's that's kind of what I think is, is happening. Uh, they're still kind of looking at the yearbook photos, Europe, and, you know, thinking that they're still, you know, that guy. And no, like, you're well, not that yeah. guy anymore, Europe. Yeah, I mean they're I mean they're just ignoring the situation where they they see themselves as the top dog, you know, versus and they're not looking at the fact that, you know, where does our energy come from? It comes from Russia. We can't we can't we can't just, you know, shun them off. We can't just cut them off because that's that's cutting themselves off, you know, the, the world's interconnected. Yeah, yeah, the energy comes from And, Russia, and that's another thing. The which... Manufactured goods come from China and you're going to try try to uh do a proxy war against both. Good luck. 
Yeah, and and it comes to resources that are just like in other countries, you know, they don't have to play by American rules. They don't have to sell in the super cheap. They don't have to bow down to this pressure because, you know, there's alternate markets opening up. And I think that's going to be something that's, that's what's really convinced me. The economy is not going to be getting better. It's going to be getting worse. And they can't just they can't just print money to try to try to hide this problem because, you know, I mean, I think the United States is more resilient because the United States is a bigger country, you know, than Europe. It has, it has its own natural resources, right? Like it can make these things. It's just not doing it. And, and yeah, I, I'm not expecting a complete collapse, but you know, I, I'm expecting a big downturn and, and that's ultimately what really matters in a recession. Yeah. I think it's going to be a downturn, but I do think it's not going to come as uh, quickly as it should. Cause I think, there's a lot of forces at play, both from the investors, the public, the media, and the government to just kind of keep the optimism alive. So it'll be curious when it happens, but I think eventually it'll happen. Will it be a year, two years, three years? We'll we'll see. But it's going to be, I mean, I think with the way things are going, just with um, Biden's luck, it'll really happen right when it's time for re-election, because I think there's going to be a big a reactionary rightward turn happening and i think you know just the way everything else is going it will happen just right in time for um a whole wave of republicans to benefit from it so that'll be interesting to see any final thoughts before we move on to uh, geo no yeah i mean you know not too much I, I just think you know we should focus on the actual things that need to exist right in our, in our world you know the the food you know food fertilizer cars, metals, stuff like that, and and, uh, and and not just look at, you know, financials and, and these definitions. But yeah, I'll move on. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me talk. Thanks. Thanks so much. Much, much appreciated. Uh, before we move on to, uh, wait, I was going to put Gio on. Gio just disappeared. Um, okay, well, Gio, if you come back up, we'll um, put you next. But I was going to say, um, we have 78 people who are listening anonymously. And I was going to say, if you're listening anonymously, do us a favor. It helps the metrics for the show. It helps us with uh, uh, people who own Colin, you know, to be signed in. If you sign into an account while you listen, first off, it's free. And it makes you measured as a listener of the show. For whatever reason, I'm not sure why it's set up like this, but when people are not signed in and they're listening on the browser anonymously. So, yeah, just... Take a second to do that. It doesn't take long to do. It helps us out. You don't even have to close the first window. If you don't want to miss any listening, just keep playing us in one window. And then um, in a second browser window, just sign up for an account and then refresh the first window. And you won't lose any listening time. Uh, Q had to go. His dog bolted. He sent me a text. The dog is on the run. You know, prayers for him and the dog, you know. Oh, they get the dog back okay, but that's where Q went. So I'm gonna go to Colonel COVID and Geo. If you wanna come back, uh, by all means, feel free to come back. So hey, what's going on, man? I will make it quick to make room for Geo. Uh, number one, hi Vita. I'd make some sorry excuse to call you pretty, but that would be like saying the sky is blue. So let's get that out of the way now. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> I'll just say this and hang up and listen because I want to hear your thoughts on this or or anyone else that thought it was going to be here. But how do you think the Blavity Black section of Twitter is going to handle the economy downturn when it's at the point that even they 
I just want to hear your thoughts on it. I'm gonna make it clear for Gio. I'll hang up this. No problem. Yeah, you know I've uh, taken to calling them BuzzFeed Black because I feel like Blavity is kind of well. A, I feel like Blavity is not even like a force anymore. Like no one talks about Blavity. It's, you know, I don't know what happened to it, but it's like no one ever talks about it anymore. So it's almost like a dated concept. But the reason why I call them BuzzFeed Blacks now is because that style of you know writing and talking and and just being has become the mainstream black way to write. Like, you know, we all made fun of it when it started, but everyone's like that now. New York Times is like that. Like, all the black writers, like, I think, ironically enough, the reason why Blavity is failed is not because the Blavity Black was a failed concept, but the Blavity Black became so um, ever-present and so took over uh, black media that the originator kind of became irrelevant you know it um it didn't matter anymore so yeah i mean new york times buzzfeed like all media blacks are blavity blacks now so yeah it's like i just started calling them buzzfeed buzzfeed blacks so that's why everyone at buzzfeed um writes like now but for people who don't know what a blavity black or a buzzfeed black is it's basically you know the whole the whole blue check way of being that um uh, on our podcast, we have a bunch of names for them: the untalented tenth, talentless tenth, the um, the um, fake boule, the you know whatever. I mean, I don't want to just just name call. I'm just trying to say this just to give you an idea of the the type. But they all kind of write the same shows, like they all kind of follow each other. They all signal boost each other, but they don't actually. They never kind of delivered the numbers that justified their amount of self-aggrandizement, you know, like um, from the way they self-promote each other and the way they they are the black people who have platforms in mainstream media, they're able to write about themselves and each other to a disproportionate amount. But whenever you look at their ratings or whatever they produce, they don't actually um, deliver the goods. Like an example is the... The Issa Rae crowd, the um, Lovecraft Country crowd, the right now they're big thing, and they do things in groups and in waves. They were all doing police brutality, Black Lives Matter art, you know, for a little while. Then around 2018, Jordan Peele um, hit big with Get Out, and I feel like when Jordan Peele came out, he was not a BuzzFeed or, you know, Blavity Black or anything. He wasn't like, you know, a blue check, but he retroactively kind of became inducted into the tribe. And I think also he kind of wanted a, a tribe. So he kind of um, took over as the kind of patron saint, saint of it. But um, if you notice, all they kind of do now, they're all doing racial uh, statement-oriented horror flicks, you know? Um, and to answer Colonel Qaddafi's question before we get to Geo. My prediction is going to be that the VC model of doing everything, which is venture capitalist, right? Uh, venture capitalist model has been just been to throw money at stuff. You throw money at a bunch of stuff and you're hoping for one of them to hit big. It's how tech industry works. And the one that hits big makes enough money for you to, um, for you to, cash in and the vcs don't do stuff in terms of hey i want to 
be part of a company and build a company so I could pass it on to my kids. It's not the old method of, hey, I want to build a legacy. I want to build an empire. They want to cash out. They want to pull the jackpot, keep on the lever and get a big, get big payout, um, cash out, you know, on a bunch of stocks, collect that money and then do it with the next company. Like, you know, um, pump and dump, pump and dump the next, um, big thing, you know, it's very rare that they have like a long-term vision and something that they're passionate about. You work on something until you get it big enough to, um, sell it to somebody else and they can pump it up even even more the traditional profit and earnings don't really matter as much there's a lot of this i say a lot of it's like like crypto a lot of it's hype and a lot of it is whatever anyway that model of doing things is kind of trickled to everything like in media buzzfeed came out and did what's called a spec special purpose acquisition company to go public and you know that failed spectacularly and a lot of other places are running off of billionaire investors as opposed to traditional profit and whatever, like very few media things are profitable these days in a traditional sense. They, they um, either are like, for example, Amazon prime and things like that. The media part is a small part of a larger conglomerate, you know? So Amazon has other parts of the company that can subsidize Amazon Prime, while well, Amazon Prime can like you know spam content and play the VC model and hope that something strikes. Same thing for a lot of other companies and whatever. But the standalone companies that do nothing but entertainment, like say like uh, Spotify, say Netflix, and other places like that, where they're not part of a bigger company and that this this wing of the company can subsidize, you know, that wing or whatever. I think they're going to be hit first. The media companies, you know, the things that aren't owned by giant companies. Basically, the reason why all these, all these woke TV and all these um, um, preachy shows have been able to thrive is because companies were using the VC model. They were flooded with money during the throw money at things and not care if it's profitable. What's going to happen is a lot of stuff is a lot of people aren't going to have any money. For example, Time Warner, AT&T Time Warner, right? Um, Time Warner was owned by AT&T. AT&T is a huge telecommunications company, right? And we're in a bubble in the boom time. So with all that AT&T money, if you really notice HBO Max, they have all these shows that just get no ratings that they just keep you know, spamming with and did all these woke shows. AT&T was like, hey, money's tight. We're sick of this shit. AT&T sold it to Discovery Media. Warner has to run like an independent company now. They're firing everybody. Uh, they're canceling everybody's contract. Spotify canceled Obama's podcast. Like, even Obama's not safe. Time Warner canceled J.J. Abrams, who's freaking huge. They're like, dude, we paid you too much money. You're not delivering uh, shit. Um they're canceling Star Wars movies. They push back Star Wars movies to 2025. Um, people are scared. Um, all these places are firing people. Netflix did a ton of layoffs. Netflix is not the one that runs like a standalone. Netflix has nothing but... So Netflix canceled a whole slate of shows. They canceled 50% of of uh, the animation. They laid off all their woke staffers who were like employee activists who were running like um, POC blogs, like Strong Black Lead, 
and uh, Contoro, the, the, the Latina base, they had enough venture capitalists and bubble money to just run magazines and blogs dedicated to puffing up Netflix shows, you know, that have their own in-house PR department. And I think the Blavity slash BuzzFeed Blacks have been the biggest recipient of this overflow of money and this lack of caring about profit. And I think now that that has dried up, they're going to be screwed. And all this camaraderie that you see them have and this um, boosterism that they have with each other is going to dry up. And I think it's going to be like crabs in a barrel. I think it's going to be like prisoners at the bottom of a ship being being toss one scrap of meat and just watch them fight it out you know it's gonna be it's gonna be like that i think it's gonna get really really ugly it's gonna be like a bunch of people were escaping a sinking ship and everybody who already got on and is secure is gonna be fine but they're gonna pull up the ladder after them and it's going to be um it's gonna be the worst for the people who have been just filleting enough people like just sucking enough dick to just almost get put on and have the ladder just pulled out right before they, you know, so they did all the compromising of themselves and their values just before the payoff. That's what's going to be the ugliest with, I think. But even among the people who are left, they're going to be stuck on a gradually shrinking raft. The one, the ones who managed to get up the ladder and they're going to start trying to figure out who are we going to kick off this raft so that we can uh, survive on this lifeboat. And, um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Uh, anyway, Gio, uh, pretty sorry for going on so long, but I wanted to answer this question as thoroughly as possible. Well, actually, you actually answered my question. And that was pretty much it. Didn't really have anything else to add. That was pretty much my question. Yeah, I mean, if anybody disagrees with any of it, you know, I'd be curious to um, know why, you know, but because I'm, I'm open to hearing alternative theories, but we've seen so many of them get get canceled, get canceled or lose their jobs. And the first thing to go do is go to Twitter to tweet. Like, I can't believe Netflix canceled me. You told me you're dedicated to diversity. It's like, dude, they're dedicated to shareholders first and foremost. Like, you know, uh, I don't know what yeah. you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Actually, Isra has a has has a, has a new show. Did you, did you hear about that? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get Q to watch it so that we can uh, talk about it. It's called uh, Rap Shit. Did you watch and... it? Have you seen it? I, uh, I didn't watch it yet, but I uh, some people told me that it's not that bad, and I try to be fair. Like you know, some people if they're not crazy about something that somebody did, they try to actively hate everything they do. But I would love to see a good show from Issa Rae. H- have you seen it? Some people told me that the show is um, actually okay. Uh, no, but, it takes... but like I'm just, cause I'm just curious, like because I'm just curious, cause like is like Issa Rae actually like good at her craft, or is it just like like a one hit wonder thing that happened? So I'm just curious if this is like another. Yeah, I'm curious too. Like, well, I'll say I, I, I'll say this. Um, people are really mixed on it. The people I know who liked it that I trust, who aren't just Issa Rae stands, they told me they didn't like it until the third episode. But ironically, Issa Rae wrote the first episode, and they told me they hated that one. So even the person who I trust, who's not a non-Issa Rae stand, who liked it, told me that. Um, her episode wasn't good, but they feel like maybe the other writers are going to make up make up for her. So 
I mean, make of that what you will. If anybody in the audience has watched Rap Shit and wants to um, share their thoughts about it, feel free, because I'd, I'd like to know myself. But we do we do plan to to cover it, because I've had the same question. Like, um, when you're not writing directly about yourself, what do you have? Because everything we've seen her do, from awkward black girl to um, insecure, has been her um, writing about herself. Actually, Vita's in the audience, and I was actually going to plan to have Vita on, so I, I guess you can hear about it for the first time. But, yeah, I was going to invite uh, Vita on, so it wasn't just me and Q, because um, Vita's a black woman who lives in L.A. who's a fan of hip-hop, so I feel like I really want to have her take on the panel whenever we whenever we do it. But, um, yeah, do you plan, do you plan to watch it? Yeah, cause like, is she, is she like Alina, what, like, wait, I don't think I've like, done anything like good ever since like Master of None. Like, I, like, I think I was like, like her only like good stuff was like Master of None. That was pretty much it. Like, is she, is she that? Like, is she like Alina Wait or is she like, mm, you know, that's a good question. Cause, cause, cause Lena Wait's like, another one. Lena Wait's another one who I've never personally gotten. But I know people to this day who are huge defenders yeah. of her, you know? So sometimes I like to admit that maybe the person's not for me. Like, like sometimes I wonder, is this bad or is it just not for me? And I'll be honest, with Issa Rae, I'm still not 100% sure. I think it's, like, it's obviously sure. bad. Like, everyone, like, it's, yeah. What's so, like, I don't bad? think anyone could, like, oh. like, like. Hold on, hold on, wait. What's no, obviously bad? Watch, I'm like, sure, like, I'm sure that, that one movie she made. No, yeah, like, no, because like, wait. Would you mind? Can you me? I want to make sure. I want to sure I follow what you're saying. Uh, what is obviously bad? I said like, like Quentin Slim, like for Quentin Slim. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's obviously bad. bad. Like anyone I know who watched that movie, like, like was angry at the end of like going and watching. Oh yeah. But, but, I totally like, if you agree. look at if you look at like like at Rotten Tomatoes, like it's like a high rating. But no one I know who watched the movie like. So I, don't, so I don't know. Like, like, yeah. uh, like, you know, it's like, it's like an 80%, 90%. Like, but no one who, who I know, like, actually like that movie. So, like, I'm not, yeah, I'm I agree. Sure. Lena Waite is objectively bad. Uh, she's the closest. I know art is subjective, but as much as art is, as, as art, I know is subjective, but Lena Waite is as close in the argument you can make to objectively bad art uh, uh, that you can. And she had that one good episode of Master of None, which I admit I liked, and I don't know how she managed to pull that off, because I've never seen her do anything. But again, that was really uh, based on her life to a large degree. So I think a lot of these people can't really do good work unless they're just um, re reiterating I mean, their actually, life. Actually, the, the shot, I think the shot, people like the shot. I, 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 oh, I, never, I, never tried, I never tried the shot. Like uh, the so shot? you say you like that one? Well, friends told me they they like it, so I don't know. Also, oh, you haven't I tried, you haven't tried it yourself. Yeah, no, I haven't tried myself. I've been Brambolina with so much that I would need someone I trust to like watch multiple seasons of the show, not even just you know half a season. And if they told me it's good, then maybe I would um, try it. But I, I've been Brambolina with like uh, several times. I've tried. Uh, she missed a lot of shows. A lot. Of, uh, she has a bunch of BET shows. I've tried different shows of her over and over, and yeah, I don't know what she's doing. She needs to work less and spend more time in the few and you know, a few less things instead of just spamming the media with a bunch of uh, bad shows. She had like, another show called Twenties, 
and that's like a bunch of uh, black women. I think a couple of them are lesbian, and that was pretty bad. There was the Boomerang BET show. There was um, some other stuff I tried from her. Uh, she she was producing stuff like um, them. I don't know if you ever saw them, and as a producer, she's bad. She's because that was that was terrible. Yeah, she she just thinks of the joint a lot. So that's why I oh, never yeah. tried. That's why I never tried the shy because I'm like, fool me once, like you know, shame on me. She fool me six times. I'm just I'm just insane, you know. Um, yeah. But any uh final thoughts? Uh, I mean, like so, like was it? So when Black Panther two comes out, are you gonna watch it? Like for, like with everyone? When and, like, when when what comes when what comes like, out? Uh, Black Sorry, Panther, what comes like, out? second movie. When, like, so, because Black Panther, you hear me? Oh, I, I know I'm going to watch it out of morbid curiosity. I don't think I'm going to watch it in the theater, though. Is well, that... yeah, but, because, yeah, because I, cause, cause I don't like the culture, like, around it, when it comes out, is going to be, like, very annoying online. Like, I oh, I yeah, like, yeah. Oh, my God. No yeah, matter how like, bad, no matter how good or bad it is, they're going to pretend it's the best thing ever. Yeah, so I'm just curious. Like, I want to see the movie without, like... I, want, I mean, I want to see the movie without, like, some weird, like, online shit, like, like, like bothering me about it. But, I, mean, I, I mean, I will say I will say this. To the best of my ability, I'm going to try to judge it fairly, you know, because the yeah. chatter around it is so going to be so freaking annoying that it's going to be very tempting to just hate it on principle. Just because the worst people on earth are going to be acting yeah, like, like, yeah. their, like I want to enjoy life. like black people on screen. Uh, like I, yeah, I want to enjoy having like good actors. Like I like I, I like. Huh? Do you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you guys. Yeah, I like. I mean, I want to see like good actors act in movies, and I and they have like pretty good actors. In movies. I want to see if it's like decent movie. Yeah, good. I mean. This is gonna be my problem with I feel with the movie. I think they should just recast Chadwick Boseman. Like this idea that um, he's the character is so defined by him that it had to only be him. I think it's kind of a backhanded insult to him because it makes it seem like he wasn't that good most... though in the was role. That... Say it again. Like I didn't care for him in black as a black guy. He wasn't like that like appealing to me on the screen as the black guy. Like, yeah, I didn't care. That much. About, like, you know, I, I can I can see why some people about wouldn't movie. like him. I, I had no problem with him in the role. I just thought the role itself was underwritten. Like what I saw made me feel yeah, like, I'm hey. like it was. I'm sorry, you're breaking up. Okay, no, right right like, okay, okay, I can hear you now. I wasn't <laughs> able to hear you before. Go on. Okay, okay. Well, well, what I was gonna say is like. Um, I feel like he could have been good in the role, but the role was just very underwritten. They didn't give him much to do. But this idea that, like, to me, it's just kind of crazy that people act like his whole life and career was defined by this uh, job. That I think he probably likely did for a good paycheck. He probably did the job for to get a good paycheck so that he had he had the comfort to do the kind of work he really wanted to do. And now these people are acting like this was the job he was most proud of in his whole life to the degree you can't recast the role. And I think you almost solidify this idea of like, you know, his highest aspiration was to just play an action figure created by two white guys. Uh, 
You know, it's like just recast the role. It's just empty big IP. You know, just recast. Give him a nice dedication, and you know, say we love you, we miss you, and you know, we have to carry on without you. And then just put another black guy in the role. You know, playing the action figure. But yeah, just I think in a way, Marvel does it for themselves because making making this a role that you have to retire uh, implies a level of importance for themselves. Like, you know, this role was so great, you know, that it defined Bozeman's life and we can't possibly recast it. And if they were to uh, recast it, they'd have to admit like, yeah, we're just um, IP. Because let's say, for example, if you can keep James Bond running for like uh, 14 Bonds or whatever, then what makes uh, Black Panther any more any more sacred? Like, like no one pretends that you can't do James Bond anymore because Sean Connery's stopped doing it. It's yeah. So the, in principle, that's one reason I'm, pre- I'm predisposed to not like the movie. I, it, I hate that bullshit idea that um, this role is too sacred to to recast. You know, I think like, it's my a fake. thing is like, are they gonna, are they gonna, are they gonna make me like a martyr, like to elevate like the black women in the movie, like? they're going to elevate the black women they were already trying to figure out a way to do it to me in the first movie in the first movie they, they were kind yeah. of, to me i think they were kind of stuck with him and they really that's why they try to make it so much about adora milaje and they try to make it really about um lupita nyong'o being his his conscience but he was pretty neutered in the movie he wasn't a traditional masculine hero like he loses his fight fair and square the bad guy doesn't even cheat he has to be saved by his girlfriend and his mom. He's like a giant, basic um, mama's boy, really. He, I, I've never seen a movie like that where the guy just loses so definitively fair and square to the bad guy. Like, he lost the kingship um, fair and square. The guy didn't cheat or anything, right? And by the own rules of his kingdom, um, that Killmonger was a fair king. And how does he get back? He doesn't get back because the guy cheated or did anything wrong. He gets the white man, which is the CIA. He gets his sister, which is a woman. He gets his ex-girlfriend, which is another woman. And he gets the his mother and all these people. And they go and they drag his defeated limp body and resuscitate him and then bring him back. And he has to come back propped up by um, women and the white man. And win back uh, his his um, champion his his um, kingdom, and then he goes hat in hand to the white man to and his government to say, "Hey, um, I want to work with you guys." And I always tell people, "What did T'Challa bring to bargain with with to um, you know the white G seven governments?" And people will say, "Oh." He brought the vibranium or he brought the technology. And I was like, no, because if he came as a black nation and he came with nothing but his strength, they wouldn't want to work with him. They would view him as a threat or to the degree that they would want to work with him. They would be waiting for the first chance to, um, you know, destroy him because like, holy shit, a a black uh, country that has enough power to take us out. But I always tell people what his bargaining chip was, was the head of the warrior class. Like he brought them the head of Killmonger. He, he's, he basically, if you are willing to kill your own biggest warrior, who's out to get you, like if you're going to be, if you remember like in game of Thrones, like, um, 
when Ramsey Bolton wanted um, people to, when he wanted to accept traitors, Ramsey Bolton would make you kill your own leader and bring his head. That way he knew you were serious because, you know, um, if you want to do that, you know, but then after that, he would kill you himself anyway, because now he can't trust you. But it's like, um, he wants to know you were serious about uh, betraying. And that's kind of what they did in Black Panther. They brought, they brought the white man, the head of his biggest enemy within their tribe. So to me, they always were looking for an excuse to marginalize like the black man and make it about, you know, the women and the white man. And now this kind of worked out perfectly in their favor to me. So, um, I, th I think for sure they're, they're gonna, this is the green light of, of, of what they want to do from the beginning. Like from the trailer, right? Like you have like Angela Bassett, like the queen of like what the, like the, the, like the, the strongest like nation in the world, like, going to the UN and asking them to do some shit, like, forgive me, this, like, or whatnot, I think, I think that was kind of, that's kind of weird, like, why would you do, need to do that? Like, why would you need to, like, still, like, bow down to the West in any form of the like, I, I, mean, I mean, the whole thing is weird. It's like, you're, you're, like, the most advanced nation in the world, but you have Flintstones technology. You know the Flintstones? It's modern, yeah, the prehistoric. Place. It's like yeah. you, have, you, have, you have rhinos with guns on them. It's like what kind of Flintstone? What kind of Flintstone shit is this? You know, you know like you know, the Flintstones have a car, but it runs on foot power. It, it, that's basically the biggest they could imagine a black superpower being. You know, Flintstone technology. I just found that uh, funny. Um, okay, so uh, Geo, we're gonna move on to um, Colonel COVID Gaddafi. But uh, thanks as usual. Always a pleasure to have you up here. No problem. All right, man. First off, Killmonger was right. <laughs> Just want to get that out the way. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh, uh, real quick, before we get, I just want to say, before we get started, I just want to give one last um, thing to the room. Uh, hey, people in the room, a quick reminder to. Log in if you're listening anonymously. You know, it helps us and our numbers out. There's about 81 people, you know, still listening anonymously. Just create an account, put take 10 seconds and log in, and you'll be greatly appreciated. And, yeah, by all means, go on, uh, Colonel. Okay, number one, Killmonger was right. Number two, everything you said about the plot, I have made that argument to my own mom, who's a huge uh, nerd, too. And I don't even want to be that mean, but... My mom is like, she's like kind of like divestory in terms of her looks on things. If you know what I mean? Like it's really hard to explain. Yeah, I think I think I get it. I mean, I mean, she's kind of bought into the establishment, I guess. It's more like it's more like, and this is how I wanted to segue to the whole divesting with uh, Black Panther too about going a million directions. I feel like. The, the thing I'm when I saw the trailer for it, I was like, the fucking divestor crowd is gonna lose their goddamn mind with this movie one way or another. And I think we all can list the reasons in our head. We're we're all intelligent people here, so you know, it is what it is. But I remember this. It, it reminds me of an exchange I want I had a few like a while back with a full on divestor that made me realize how out of sync with reality they are. And I remember 
saying this very valid point. I made a very simple point to her. Also, I want to leave with a very admission to story or something, but I said to her, she was saying, like, black men, they don't do all this. They don't do this. Mind you, uh, the point she made is, like, like, black men, they don't ever want to be the head of the house. And I made the point of, like, has it ever, I said to her, and this is the this is where the fight broke. I said, you, I said to her, let me ask you this. You make how much? She said about six figures. Okay. You all, you make this much money. You are a very attractive woman. We can agree on this. Yes. Yes. Okay. You are single. You have high earning pride. Would you agree that you should have a lot of, you know, men finding you attractive on some level? Yes. Okay. Next question. Why do you not think that doesn't apply to men? And he's like, well, they're supposed to be the head of the household. So literally what you're saying is you're mad at us because we didn't maintain patriarchy in a way that you wouldn't be able to, like, go be independent. And then and eventually the argument broke down where I had to just basically say, like, just be honest. You're mad because and this and, and Trevor, you will probably know where I'm going with this. They're mad because I think they're starting to, the, I think the whole reason that Divest Group has gotten so ugly, you've shown us pictures of their discords. I think, I think the real reason why they're so angry at black men isn't even just, it isn't just whatever they state. I think what it is, is that I think they're realizing that them as the new boule class, whichever way you want to label them, I think they're realizing that the reason they have such hate for black men is that in their economic station where they've gotten to by their own by their own hard work by their own merit i will give them their credit i think they're realizing that the only black men they ever let into those spaces either need either either is highly emasculated or self-hating and you know you, you get what i'm trying to say here I do, I do, but um, I also need it to be kind of tied into the topic, even if it's uh, tangential. I will. I just want to, I just want okay, to clarify okay, cool. before I cut to it. I just want to make the the reason okay. I make that point is it ties back to the whole reason why I think Black Panther Two is such a phenomenon more than the first one, because I think it helps them maintain that cognitive dissonance. You see what I'm saying here? Yeah, I do. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. The flat last thing I say. Remember back when um, Jason Black was had those had that call-in show about Black Panther, the first one, and they're the nerd who called in to argue with him. Uh, I don't really listen to him like that, so no, I missed I missed this one. Well, Kenny probably remembers, but if he's gonna listen to this, hey, uh, Kenny, I have a confession to make. That was me. Yeah. As as far as what. I was the guy calling in to argue to defend Black Panther. Oh, oh got you, got you. Oh, oh so you're the one arguing about Black Panther. Okay. Yeah, so. that was back when I wrote for Onyx Truth, this really fucked up uh, MRA page. Then I got help and, you know, found your podcast and got normal. But anyway, just want to get that. Okay, okay. But we're going to need you to uh, wrap it up soon because we have to get to... Oh, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean... I'll I'll say this. Um, I don't have a problem so much with 
the movie wanting to be what it was about. I just don't like the dishonesty of it. Like, you know, just have a Dora Milaje movie or just have a whatever movie, you know, like I, I don't have a problem with it. So in a way, I kind of look forward to the second one more because it has freedom to be honest. You know what I mean? Like um, if they want to make a movie that, you know, um, elevates uh, the women of the tribe, if they do it good, I'll be okay with it. I'm not going to go in there and be and be a hater. Like, it doesn't, you know, bother me if they want to make a movie about um, strong, strong black matriarchal society, whatever. I'm not that crazy about uh, the girl who plays Shuri being the person because she is super skinny. And I'm very curious about, you know, trying to buy her as some big action hero. But crazier stuff has happened. Who knows? I don't, uh, but hey, Bernard, how's it going? Uh, I, it's a testament to how much I like you because we we're supposed to wrap up after um, we're supposed to wrap up after uh, Colonel, but I want to give you a chance to say your piece. Oh, my bad. And you know I'm not gonna be here to um, analyze anything about the Black Panther because I'd be out of the loop on a lot of this stuff. Like. I do not want to be immersed in the immediate reactions <laughs> to this movie. Like I waited like three years later after the first one to see it. I haven't even brought myself to see the Harry Potter movie yet. Um, so I'm not going to be commenting about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say this. As a content creator, it becomes like homework to kind of watch this stuff when it's popular. And it's funny because this one's going to be tough for me because I know the discourse is going to be so obnoxious in the immediate weeks after people are going to act like you support um female genital mutilation and and femicide if you don't like this movie it's going to be very very bizarre you know but I, at the same time i hope it's generally good because at least then it'll be more tolerable how obnoxious the discourse is so we'll see i think the only thing that i wonder about the black panther is if we still got any wakandans out there we still got people signed with wakanda or whatever that's the only thing I'm curious to see in terms of the immediate reactions, but I didn't want to ask about that. What I wanted to ask about is you brought up how you expected the so-called BuzzFeed Blacks to respond to each other as we eventually start to descend into what I believe is going to be a recessionary period that they're going to even feel. And you basically suggested that they were going, it's going to look competitive where maybe they try to get each other, where they act like crabs in a barrel and they do what's necessary to get each other out of one another's way. Um, I kind of vocalized in the chat that I wanted to know what you thought those attacks would look like because, like, the BLM era is kind of cooling off. So I wonder yeah, if they're going to use these tricks, like, to if they'll still use, like, these Twitter intersectional tricks to say, like, oh, you are, you said something bad about a black woman or something. So let me get you fired from this job so I can keep mine or get elevated and take it. Like, what will it look like? I'm just curious. Well, I'll tell you something that I saw that was pretty interesting, right? Well, one thing I do is I track bizarre insane deals like uh when there was a stage where every single like uh black book um that was kind of you know superficially woke and intersectionally intersectional mm -hmm. was getting an insane like six-figure deal and getting adapted you know for all these um things like getting getting a hulu deal getting an amazon deal all this stuff one that was like particularly bad it was called like uh the other black girl and um i think uh 
Rashida Jones was was uh, optioned it, you know, to become a, a Hulu series, and there's all this stuff. And the book was bad. Um, I don't know if it sold. I don't think it did. But I track all these bad deals, and I will um, continually check on them to see like what happened. And there's so many of these crazy deals and options that were announced that had zero movement. If you go to Rashida Jones, um, IMDb. Of all the stuff she's working on, uh, the other black girl is not anywhere on it. But I think what they do is, um, in the era of good money, and this is a long about way of getting to your to your um, question. I'm going to answer it, but I just want to put a little background context. In this era of like all this money, where you know they were flush with you know the parent company money or you know whatever, they um, signal this pr- right. Was that? They kind of like signal boost each other, right? Well, not just signal boost each other, but they have um, um, money for prestige projects, like projects that's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is not going to get us a profit, but it's going to get us uh, prestige or woke points. I think woke points has become the new prestige project. Like for some reason, there's this belief that there's a social capital that comes from being a woke corporation that, um, you know, is almost as important as profits. So when your profits are handled, you have room to score work points, but combined with that the um, attitude where we're going to do all these projects for work points, but also the hope is one or two of them will be like a get out. That will be like a big hit and will actually pay for itself as well. So the combination of work points and the, the lottery system was getting all these people deals. But I've been noticing that there's a lot of deals that were announced where if you look, I think they've been what we call soft canceled, which is no one actually officially announced that it's been canceled. It's just they stopped making announcements on it. So there's things that have not had a new announcement or development in years. And it's not, and we check everybody's IMDBs, it's not on um, their slate. Now, when when all these things are getting soft canceled, right? And then on top of that, and, and I heard like rumors, there's some people I know, but I can't say out loud uh, their names, but there's people I know who have been unofficially fired from their HBO projects, but it's mm-hmm. not public and, and nobody knows it. But I know people in the industry who told me this person was low-key fired because they showed up and didn't do any work. They just tweeted all day and were just acting uh, like a diva and they're fired. And, and so a lot of times we see people get, say that they left a project for creative differences, it's a face-saving way to say, you know, I was fired, right? And that happens. You're going to see a wave of people who are going to announce, yeah, because of creative differences, um, we didn't move forward, but I wish the people all the best. And it's a win-win for everybody because the creator doesn't have to admit that, hey, I just threw six figures at somebody that was just a waste of space. And the other person gets to, you know, save face and say, hey, I wasn't uh, fired. So that's the first stage. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, fake fake um, leavings of things over creative differences and and quiet cancellations where no one actually says the thing was canceled. They just stop updating on the project or whatever. And then um, there's going to be less new deals that come out. Now, when Black Lives Matter had that story in New York Magazine, one thing that was really shocking to me, I was shocked at how many blue checks and fake activists and and all this stuff were signal boosting the story and 
kind of dogpiling on Black Lives Matter. I'm like, damn, you're one of those types of people who I know you select Black Lives Matter or at the very least would never have come out your face like this uh, to badmouth them and whatever. And I'm like, it must be really bad for them if like other blue checks now are um, basically openly turning on them, retweeting the things. And even um, the actual article itself was commissioned by Morgan Jerkins, uh, when we had the author on here to talk about it, and we asked how the, how the um, project came about, he was like, yeah, uh, Morgan Jerkins was a person who uh, commissioned the, the hit piece. And I was like, whoa, she's like um, one of these black feminist um, blue check type writers. I'm surprised she would actually commission the piece. But that's what I think it's going to look like. It's going to be this kind of no one can, can turn on the – like. A friend of the show, um, Chris from Escape from Plan A, he coined this term La Woca Nostra. And, you know, we love that term because it kind of shows how these people kind of act like a mafia. One of the things is like omerta. You never talk bad about anybody in the mafia. But in the mafia, when people were getting hit with those drug sentences and things were tough for the mafia, a lot of that uh, code of honor went out the window and people started snitching and turning on each other. I think it's going to start happening a lot. People are start doing threads about each other, calling each other um, coons or sellouts. They're going to uh, start being honest about criticizing each other's shows and saying like this show makes black people look bad. And this like, okay, here's, here's an example. Um, the Till, the Emma Till movie. I was surprised mm-hmm. how many blue checks are, bashing the new Emma Till movie. To me, that's the kind of movie where, like, Harriet, they would have all been rushing to defend it because they would have been hoping to get some kind of job promoting it or getting involved. But suddenly, you know, they're like, yeah, we don't think we're down with this movie. And I just think, like, um, they're, they can't see any way they can eat off the movie. So they're not going to uh, throw their weight behind it, you know? Um, that's I what like I was going to ask. Have happened before. Hmm? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask if what you were kind of describing was more like a, was it a good faith? It's time to get BLM up out of here so we going to all get on code and we're going to start supporting this so-called hit piece? Or is it a my turnism as in like, not only are they kind of in the way, but um, things are getting bad for us. So we need to push you out of the way to make sure that we have a shot or, or something totally. like that. You know? Totally. I think it's everything you said and more. I think there's my turnism. Like when you were on top, I was willing to kiss your ass in hopes of getting some of your crumbs. But now that I see you're weak, I have a chance to push you off and it'll be my turn to get on. I think that's one thing. I think number two, the type of scamminess, the type of social justice scamminess that BLM was doing, I think is typical for that class of people. But the fact that they're getting so radioactive, you have to vocally distance yourself, you know, because it's like, okay, I have to, they're toxic right now and they're headed for a big fall. I have to protect myself. And the best way to protect myself is to be as vocally against them as possible uh, so that I don't get tarred with the scammer brush, even though I'm a scammer too. And, and I'm, I need to, I need to preserve my integrity so that I don't get um, guilt by association especially because I do plan to scan myself myself when when the time comes. So I think that's the second thing about it. And I also um, think too, that it's just a way to kind of keep yourself out there. Like, you know, um, 
I'm gonna do a thread about how they suck now because look how much look how much clout this guy did got for his anti um, BLM thing. Even though he did it from a good faith place, you know, these people are always looking for what the market is supporting uh, that doesn't conflict with their um, white liberal um, overseers, you know. And if white liberals now are ready to hear anti BLM pieces and are, you know paying writers to write them, then, hey, I'm going to do that now. I do wonder what this... um, I mean, things. I do wonder... The fact that people are willing to attack anything associated with BLM or maybe even intersectional lens does make me wonder where, like, the online or the social media political spaces are about to go, because you know you see the country right now kind of turning again towards like a right-wing reactionaryism but i'm kind of like okay so where will black go i know it's gonna never go more towards like the we should do specific advocacy and blah 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 like in ados or or things like that but i'm wondering what it's gonna look like are they gonna hold on to this rebranded or what they gonna do with it i think they're gonna hold on to it but i think it's dying because i don't know who really likes it anymore because um i think i feel like it failed or something. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like right wing um, white people, of course, don't like it. Uh, I feel like white liberal women are low key getting sick of it. Like, I feel like there's going to be a reactionary shift. Like, people are talking about these turfs and everything. And I think, like, a lot of these turfs are coming around because a lot of, like, uh, white women are like, you know what? We're sick of everything. Like, um, these. We're always getting it from everybody. Um, you know, the white men don't like us, but all these women of color are always calling us racist no matter what. They they clearly want our spot. And now we have trans trans women and all these people against us. And I think a lot of white women are going to be like, hey, you know, if I got to be the bad guy anyway, then I'm really going to be the bad guy. And, think, and I feel like that's where, because I've seen more uh, of these turfs than, than ever. And, it's, and I feel like, people are kind of underestimating um, how big and kind of centered they're becoming. You know what I mean? Like there's New York Times op-ed pieces by like TERFs now. And you read the comments and it's like there's a lot of women who have been kind of activated by this discourse to kind of talk. But the women with platforms and the women in power don't really talk to turf talks. So I think people are underestimating the extent to which um, a lot of regular women are quietly kind of supporting this stuff. So I think the white, they're losing the white women. Um, uh, the black men, I don't think they have because they built so much of the platform on attacking black men. But I think what's really going to blindside them is there's this growing community of black women who seems really, really, like people call them pick me Twitter or pick me YouTube or whatever, but they're really, really sick of intersectional women. And for some reason, a lot of them love Kevin Samuels. I've talked about this on Twitter where I stumbled on this corner of YouTube of these black women who do huge numbers. There's like, um, I think one's called Kendra G. Another one's called Crimson Cure. There's the Nika Marie discussions. I've been looking at a bunch of them and they have like, five six figure follower counts and if you look at their engagement and you look at say uh jamel jamel hills or alicia garza's youtube pages (laughs) they get no clicks uh uh those intersectional women like they're very well platformed like they can get a new york times coverage they can get atlantic piece they can get 
on MSNBC, but YouTube, I feel like, doesn't lie. It's a very populist base. If you have popular support, it shows up on YouTube, and no one really cares what they have to say off of a platform. If they're not uh, the black person on the platform, um, people don't care. Like, like if they're not doing representation, like, hey, a black per I'm a black person that got to be on MSNBC, their crowd tunes out. Their crowd doesn't really care about them unless they're actively accomplishing some type of representation. Um, but these kind of and people always think of left wing and right wing as Democrat, Republican. And when I call these women kind of reactionary, I don't think they're Republican. I can't see any of them, you know, voting for a Republican or doing Republican stumping. But they have um, values that most people will call uh, conservative. And they, yeah. yeah, they hate uh, it's, they bash intersectionals all the time on on their channels and they have high engagement uh, the chat, the chat room is like f flying, you know, the comments are full of comments. They're, um, payments, you know, when people do those, those YouTube super pays, they're getting full of, uh, payment. And I'm like, um, I'm not saying that a lot of these people are going to end up voting for a Republican next election, but I bet a lot of them will sit out the election and everything. And I think that's going to be the real big surprise is I think it's going to be a big reactionary turn among um, black women that is going to be too big for these Brittany Cooper, Professor Crunk types to ignore. And for a lot of these um, mainstream intersectional blue check women, their whole value to um, the mainstream is convincing like white liberals that, Hey, we are the backbone of the Democratic Party. We vote 98%. Uh, we believe every piece of bullshit that uh, white Democrats believe, uh, all black women believe it. And I think it's going to be harder for them to maintain that illusion, both because they can't deliver numbers, they can't deliver votes, they can't deliver ratings, and there's going to be a loud bunch of people who actually do have numbers behind them, drowning them out. And with social media, it's hard to suppress people like you used to. Like Something like ADOS, would never have made the mainstream before social media. Just nobody would have covered it. Joy Reid would never talk about ADOS in the days before social media. But it's yeah. like now with social media, people can make themselves heard to a point that your enemies, your political enemies with platforms would have just tried to ignore you out of existence. Uh, same thing with Donald Trump. Donald Trump would not have blown up without social media. You know, uh, they would have just managed his image on the mainstream media and just kept him a joke. But no matter how much they tried to manage his image on mainstream media, he was able to counter program on his own uh, alternative sphere of media. I hope that answers your question. Uh, I'll try to wrap it up, but I will respond by saying, I think, I think what you're also, what you're calling reactionary, um, sort of a reactionary response might be a canary in the coal mine of perhaps some class consciousness growing in the, um, black community and maybe it could be some sort of class war because when you said that these are women who actually like Kevin Samuels the only thing I can really think about is like you know maybe if you're like a working uh, like most black people you're working class you're working poor you don't mind him sitting up there on that show having these so called six figure women we don't know if they lying or not like yeah. call in and then claim that they want X, Y, and Z you don't mind him tearing them down like publicly on the YouTube I, I, spectrum, you get tired of seeing women like that who think they are above the rest of the black community or who think they deserve so much better. Maybe that's what it is.
partly, but uh, they they particularly hate like the politics. They really can't stand the politics. Uh, they don't like the whole try and be kind of handmaidens to uh, white feminist thing and how they always kind of run behind white white feminists, you know. Uh, in, in their mind, this is their language, not, not you know, mine. Kind of like holding their, like, you know, um, coattails or, you know, just trying to get whatever scraps that they cast off. Well, like, they find that, you know, very kind of toxic and weird. It's very... It's I get very that, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting to to like to like watch them because I feel like from talking to them and looking at the engagement they get, and a lot of those Britney Cooper types and stuff when they do get engagement, it's like seventy five percent white women in there. You know, like 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 these people have a real black following, and they're full of other black women, and they're like weirdly trad. Like you know, they're it's like they're almost trying to overcorrect against like the progress the pro- progressivism. Like, um, but I'll say like I'll I'll watch them sometimes out of curiosity i started calling them all kevin's angels because they're all like <laughs> act like kevin angel kevin samuels was like the, the saint that we that we lost and i wasn't crazy about kevin kevin samuels i found him funny yeah, sometimes but, but 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 i always felt he went too far but um like you know on the show we always like uh, go in on the intersectional feminists, but I'll watch these women. I'm like, okay, that's too far. <laughs> like, like they'll they'll have me defending the intersectional feminists sometimes. Where I'll be like, okay, you're you're going too far there. I don't know about uh, about all that. So you I mean, well, how, well, how you know, black go. people socially, we've always had like little strains of social conservatism. So I'm not surprised that you're seeing that. But the reason why I call it a class thing is like, yeah, they're making fun of the politics. But when you talk about a Britney Cooper and a lot of these intersectional feminists you see on Twitter who got elevated into white spaces like often they're associated with the academy in some way or another so yeah. they are people who will view themselves as like some weird middle or, or, or maybe upper middle class these are not people who necessarily would look out for working poor and, and working class black women so they, they view themselves great, as above us there's <laughs> a great um, article out in this magazine called Compact Magazine about Audre Lorde. I'm going to try to talk with the guy. Um, but he wrote a great uh, article about how Audre Lorde is kind of the main person who um, created this. Yeah, it's Compact Mag- Magazine, and the article is called Stop Doing the Work, and it's by a guy called Ben Hickman. And if you see me talk about Audre Lorde, like everything he says is like what I've said about her to the point where I'm, I'm like wondering, like, has he, has he listened to the show? Right. I looked so. up her background and she looked like she was, um, kind of, um, insulated to sort of elite spaces from early in her life. Oh yeah. 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 Her, her, her parents had like some, some real estate business or something. And she's, she's been uh, privileged. She makes it sound like a third world revolutionary, but she uh, came, came from privilege, but, um, he he basically makes a good case about how this elevation of the academy uh, as the focal point of revolutionary and how everything revolutionary is about things that people in the academy do. Like now to be revolutionary, you don't actually have to lead a revolution. Just writing poetry and analyze, doing critical analysis is revolutionary and, you know, doing conferences is revolutionary. He kind of... Uh, describes how she was like the beginning of that, like this this elevation of the academy um, as supposedly the voice of the people. And it's a pretty convincing um, case about it. Uh, one last thing I'm going to bring up. Uh, I Saeed in the chat, uh, I didn't have the numbers in front. He brings up numbers. He says, Alisa has about YouTube subs. 
and she's had a YouTube account with regular drops for two years. And it's absolutely true. Like when these people aren't propped up by a platform and don't have, you know, the platform watchers watching them, they never can generate uh, numbers. That's why I said this a couple of weeks ago on a call in, you'll never see them strike out on their own for anything, no matter how bad a major platform treats them. They will sit on their ass and cry on Twitter about it until a new platform hires them. But you know, they will you'll never see them just break out and go to Patreon. Do any person I've seen come close to doing it? Uh Roland Martin is the only one I've seen. I think because he absolutely had to. There was no place that would yeah. hire him. And I don't think he's tearing it up himself. Um either. Yeah, I think he's like... struggling more than we would have expected given his past. All right, now I'm gonna end with this. I'm gonna end with the same thing I did last time. So my spirit has room for one movie that I didn't see with the rest of y'all. Um, so I can either do... Would you recommend the Harriet movie? I was thinking about watching it just to hate watch it. Is it funny enough to watch? Oh, yeah. It's funny to hate watch it because it's basically done like a Marvel movie where she has like powers. Uh, uh, you were talking about that movie when you said Harriet. Was Harriet Potter... Potter was Harriet Potter a mistake on your point? Or were you making No, I meant to call it Harriet Potter because I heard that they made her illness or whatever seemed like a superpower and they were doing yeah 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 so you said it on purpose right okay so that was a perfect way to call it harriet potter and it's crazy like she's bugging her eyes out a lot like like um i don't know what type of acting job this is but it's like mantan moreland like i was waiting for her to just say like feet don't fail me now like like her eyes are just bugging out and it's just a weird performance and i heard that it's weird performance because people actually say that you know regardless of Reveal's disposition towards black Americans. Usually they say that she acts pretty well, but they said in this movie she was just weird. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, she, she had this accent. It seemed like a weird, like, kind of Maryland, Baltimore accent. You know, it was like kind of northern, kind of southern. She just did. She of... phoned it in. That's what it sounded like to me. Yeah, she, she phoned it in, and they just made the movie really weird, and they made some weird. Um, kind of psychosexual relationship with a young uh generically handsome underwear model looking white white guy who was her ex-master and these totally made him up it was just a bizarre thing they put some kind of weird swirly um plantation fantasy uh with some white guy that was in love with her uh and that she had some kind of weird psychosexual tension with who saves her life it's like why are you putting weird swirly romance in this um, really a bizarre, bizarre movie. I mean, it, it's just worth watching to see just how, and that's a perfect, that movie is a great example of how Blue Checkery just was hitting new lows because that was a perfect example of a movie that Blue Checks and academics and stuff were supporting the hell out of. Um, there you had know, to be and, some and payments was, involved to because oh, I think oh, they yeah, probably knew that it was going to flop. No, 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 no. That's what that's what I'm getting at. I'm I'm totally getting to that. Uh, they were supporting in a way they're not supporting till. But one of the reasons why is because they were recruiting blue checks to who were in the academy, who were his actual historians, to vouch for the movie. They were doing uh, press tours and book tours. Um, I know Rutgers had his hand all over that movie. I remember. Oh that. yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a Rutgers professor who wrote a Harriet um, Tubman book called uh, "She Came to Slay" or oh, something God, like that. Man. What yeah, 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 horrible title. Yeah, horrible presentist title. And they were uh, using her book as like 
promotion, like saying, hey, if you like our movie, read her book. And the whole Rutgers staff uh, of like, uh, black women who write there, because Brendan Cooper's there too, they were all caping for the movie, but they were taking yeah. historians on the road to have these kind of fake academic panels that were really promotion for the movie. And people in the audience came up, and as you can find it on YouTube, and people in the audience spoke out like, what the hell is this bullshit movie? You're creating fake black men slave catchers, um, you know, and doing all this weird messaging. And the historian, like, you know, she was paid. So she was like, well, you know, it wasn't technically historically accurate, but we have people like Clarence Thomas today. So, wow. you know, it's the, the, yeah, that was a legitimate. I'm not making up. That was a real defense that a uh, tenured historian uh, was paid who was paid to defend the movie. Is it at least a white woman that said that? No, it was a black woman. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had the uh, link handy, but I swear it exists, and that was exactly what she said. She used Clarence Thomas as a... As a way to excuse historical inaccuracies, and that's what they're having to have Because what else can she say? There was nothing real she could point to that uh, proved it. But you know, they would do that because there were there was money for them. You know, I don't think in this recession, studios are going to have these puff piece. Um, fake academic panels to su- support movies anymore. The movie even has to sink or swim on its own um, marketing, and we're not going to throw good money after bad anymore. So I, I don't think that avenue of money is going to be available for a lot of these people, and that's when they're really going to start cutting each other's um, throats for what little op, um, spaces that, that there are left. Okay, so, so I yeah. can either watch that one, or I can wait for the, the, the Tillman thing to come out and maybe I'll watch that closer to when it came out once it comes out of the theaters. Like, how bad? It, so I haven't seen the discourse around that. Like, I I limit my social media engagement to very few spaces. So I haven't past seen, couple really weeks, seen the discourse. I just heard it was bad. past couple of weeks, I've been off Twitter, like, majorly. Like, like I've been down, like, 80, 90%. I just go on. Like, the last thing I went on for Twitter was to ask a question about Compact Magazine, because I want to know the magazine's rep- reputation. You think that was it? And before that was a couple of days ago, because I've been trying to save my sanity. So I do not know the discourse around uh, till on Twitter, but I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty sure it's bad because it's, it's directed by an African woman. So that alone is gonna gonna activate uh, everybody. So that should be interesting. God forbid they find some kind of Akata tweet in her past. But but wow. lucky for her, she has she has no Twitter. So I don't know why, but for whatever reason, a lot of these um, African writers, for some reason, in 2011, 2012, had to put Akata in the tweet and for some reason didn't delete it when they got big. I'm like, why would you not delete that? I don't understand why you all have it in your Twitter histories and you didn't delete it. But this woman, thankfully, appears to have not used Twitter. So she has that going for her. But, um, yeah, no idea what the discourse is. But I would say, watch Harry. Harry's funny. Harry is uh, kind of hilarious, you know? It's, yeah, I just keep uh, scrolling over it on my Prime, and I'm like, should I do it? Should I just click on it and just see what it looks like? like It'll blow your mind. It is a weird-ass movie. Um, I mean, I, I somehow watched that, Uh, what was it, that master thing. I, I somehow got through that. It was really strange. And they used oh, some lady who was Melissa Harris Perry and then called her something else. In there. Oh, I'll, I'll say this. It's somehow... Uh, the testament to how bad Master is, it's actually more watchable than, than Master. <laughs> Master okay. somehow beats it. Okay. So if you can watch Master, you can watch you can watch that. Okay, I'm gonna try that one. I'm gonna skip over the Emmett Till thing because that seems weird. I'm not no ADOS or FBA absolutist at all, but like 
I, why is an African writer? Why she want to write about Emmett? I don't know. <laughs> like, no, why do we I, got anybody I, to do that? Like, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, if you show some kind of um, real dedication to it, or you know, do an especially good job, I think that's one thing. But a lot of these people don't even do that, which makes it worse. Like, like I think anybody should be able to write what they want. But I do, th- I do understand why people think that Black Americans should get, you know, preferential um, choice. Number one, but number two, if you are going to choose someone who over uh, an African American, then they better have a really good resume to back it up, and the product better be worth it. And a lot of times, it's like, oh my God, seriously, like this is what you chose. But uh, anyway, uh, um, hold on, I can't hear you. You're, I can hear you. You were muffled. But oh, I said I hope they don't love crap country that man. In the uh, movie. I don't know. Uh, we'll see, but definitely have to wrap. Definitely have to wrap it up. We're a little bit. Um, but all right. Over. Yeah. Thank you. I'm gonna watch the Harriet movie. I'm gonna try it. <laughs> all right. Let me know what you think about it. And everybody, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate everybody who came here. Everyone who spoke. Um, check out Champagne Sharks, the podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, go to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks to become a patron. And yeah, we will be back in a couple of days. Appreciate y'all. Be good.